Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. My name is Dave Hanratty and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 315 of the No Encore Music Podcast. It's a Thursday evening and it's still kind of bright out. Craig Fitzpatrick. It's lovely. Felt like the first day of spring. There was a hint of summer even. I know I railed against spring recently on the show, but there was a hint of summer in the air today. At lunchtime, I sat on some actual grass and it wasn't wet. It was great. Nice. Good nature uh, boy over here. That's a very, very, very vivid image. Uh, there's children playing in the street, by the way. I, I've recently moved Gaff, but there's still allowed children around. So, And I, and honestly, man, Which I really don't think that... Of. I do not. And I think that during the summer, or, or maybe even maybe even in the next weeks to come, uh, I think it's going to become a real problem for recording the show because, like, they kick a ball off the wall that, like, my bedroom... Like, like, like literally, like, the wall that I'm looking at right now, the opposite side of this, they tend to, like, treat it as, like, a, you know, like a fake goal or something and well you know what you're gonna have to do you're just gonna have to march out there take the ball (laughs) and puncture it in front of them (laughs) with a giant knife yeah with a hunting knife (laughs) with your hunting knife yeah Yeah, that you carry with you everywhere at all times craig (laughs) you make your rounds of the estate (laughs) yeah uh i'm moving in so yeah no it's i i foresee trouble i really really do and also they're fucking i sent you a voice note the other day about the show i think and you wrote back to you you said to me you're like why is you're like? Why does it sound like someone is murdering cats in the background there, Dave? Yeah. And I was like, and I said that's the neighborhood spawn. I believe I was clearly not in a great mood, um, but they're very loud. So we'll okay. see how we go. But yeah, hopefully they won't get picked up on. There's nothing happening right now. But the fact is, it is bright. It is summer tinged, and of course, it is also the biggest night in music for Irish music. The Choice Prize. We'll get I mean, to that. It's not in the Ivor Novellos, but yeah, no. the choice is happening. A galaxy of stars. And we'll, 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 us we'll get to two that. lonely comets. Yeah. <laughs> 
Ooh. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, first of okay. all, welcome to the show. It's a music podcast and we're back once again. If you're joining us for the first time, Craig and I the are two embittered <laughs> music journalists who... Uh, Talk to each other once a week. That's how or our friendship... Or across each other, as I often do. <laughs> and annoy Dave. We're on I'm, Zoom. I'm probably worse for interrupting, but... Top five is the order of the day. We have a top five on this episode. It's top five musical offspring, best and worst. Uh, we're going to go through the best and worst examples of the uh, offspring. Band of the offspring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a niche one this week, folks, but we think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, it's time to finally crack down on Dexter Holland's career. No, um, basically, if you happen to be born into a world of privilege by being the uh, fucking offspring, I suppose. The spawn. Of yeah. the, spawn uh, the neighborhood spawn of a rich and famous musician and then you embarked on a music career of your own that's what we're going to examine this week the good and the bad um mm. craig is worried craig's on worst and craig is worried that he is potentially going to punch down on individuals but i he has assured me that he took a very sensitive approach to this subject matter yeah it's the songs in question that i'm kind of railing against and also um i mean it's an eclectic bunch but i think they're all unified in you know, I mean, you're born into wealth. A, a wealth. Um, yeah. But also there's a bit of that thing of like, you know, if you do want to p- pursue music, you're onto a loser from the get-go. Might, you might have a leg up, but in terms of like the backlash, it's going to be pretty severe. So there's a lot of sympathetic characters in my list. I'm not railing against them, um, nearly all of them. Um, it's basically going to illustrate how they're not always... <laughs> as good as um, their musical heritage might suggest. And also, they're kind of onto a loser from the get-go. So, yeah, it'll be an interesting one. I, I'm sure Best, like, as I was going through it, I was like, why didn't I just, why didn't we both just do Best? I, I, I dove straight in because I really felt I should have gone worst for power ballads last time out. So I was just like, we haven't done worst in a while. There's got to be some hilarious clips out there. And then as I was reading through all these kind of kids and their hopes and dreams and their struggles with their fathers and mothers, I was like, what am I, what am I doing? But, you know, it's the kind of existential crisis I have most weeks prepping this show. That's good to hear. Uh, it's kind <laughs> of inspired by uh, Paris Jackson put out a new EP, but also, uh, I think also in tandem, a bunch of people on Twitter recently have kind of discovered what nepotism is because, you know, I haven't oh, seen the television baby, show. Yeah. I haven't seen the television show Euphoria, but uh, apparently uh, the Twitter fan base for that, which is very rabid and frightening and weird, um... And probably wholesome, I don't fucking know. But basically, um, I discovered that Maud Apatow is in fact related to Judd Apatow and Leslie Mann, and thus is a bad person who must be cancelled immediately. Um, so yeah, they're gonna these people are gonna flip out when they hear about other people who exist who happen to be related to people who have careers in Hollywood and beyond. I mean, know? listen, every it's just because they're in the spotlight, right? Every industry has a bit of nepotism. You've got like you know generation after generation getting into the same trade. I mean, you know. My parents were podcasters. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They invented the form. Do you know what I mean? Let's go easy on the rich and famous is my takeaway from this episode. Ah, we should have had good Charlotte's lifestyles of the rich and famous play us in. That's a belter. Um, Every week. So it's patreon.com slash noencore, by the way, if you want to help support the show. Um, Conscious that we haven't put out bonus material in a while and thus you might be like, well, why should I? Good question, uh, to be fair. Um, We are going to record a new Noox chord hopefully this weekend. Do we have that penciled in? 
Britain. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Sunday's a goer. I'm up for it. Yeah, let's do it. Excited about it, but yeah, yeah. Well, just just to stress. I mean, listen, the Patreon is there. Uh, We're a fierce independent entity. Uh, We're all very busy people. We love doing the show. Uh, Carving out time for it is a priority, and we don't miss this appointment every single week. And uh, I guess some people like the show. You know, sometimes I go, I, I go through phases of being like, why do people? It's usually when I'm wildly depressed, and I'm like, why the fuck would anybody want to listen to the show? But I am assured that there are people out there who do, in fact, enjoy the show. And I know yeah. this for, as well because people have support, not just because people have support us on Patreon, but just to say a huge thank you to anyone who ever has. Uh, you don't have to. The only thing we do ask of you, if you could do it, would be to just try and put people onto the show. Tell a friend. Tell someone you hate. Uh, tell anyone that there's a really good music tell show. Tell someone rich and famous. Called No that Encore. Wants to- <laughs> that, yeah, that wants to patronize us. Yeah. And they can do so at patreon.com slash no encore. Uh, price of points will be lovely. But listen, there's no pressure on anybody to do anything. And as we said last week's show, especially right now with all the fucking chaos in the world, there are much yeah. more worthy causes out there and that's where your money should go if you can afford it. But in the meantime, Craig, um, before we get on with the show and get to the news section, um, another thing I saw doing the rounds this week, um, very funny meme i suppose of trent reznor i don't know if you've seen this it's it, it's it's good i saw it before it's not new but for some reason it's just come into the collective consciousness this week do you know what i'm talking about uh, i don't think i do but i also i quite enjoyed you saying a very funny meme i've, I've seen <laughs> that i just want to talk about before we get into the news <laughs> this is my ryan Doherty morning radio show very funny meme doing the rounds uh, trent reznor Nice nail. Uh, nice nails from Trent Reznor, cool. who, of course, you know, I'm a big fan of. Um, there's like a four kind of panel image of him uh, at a show. And I believe it's at a festival. I think Tame Impala were on before them, possibly. And he's there and he, he's like, <laughs> he just goes like, hey, how you guys doing? You, you know, are you, you having fun? You know, are you here to have a party? And he goes, well, uh, he goes, but, uh, wrong fucking band. That was the last guys. <laughs> we're at a bad time. <laughs> and then it's like the last panel is like synthesizer playing um but also i did a you know i, I made craig a playlist about nine snails recently and i've actually yeah, pretty craig machine you're enjoying I've been it enjoying it yeah it's um it's great it's very i mean the, the opening track is um the day the world went away i believe and it's a nice kind of caustic wash of sound and you're just into a a kind of a, a gloriously bad place um yeah it's been it's been weirdly great background music for me for a little for a little while and uh turns out yeah i like nine inch nails you've expanded the playlist as well did, if you want to yeah. share it with other people as well yeah i put on uh, i initially put 10 songs on there's now 20 songs on there uh, and as a matter of fact i'll put it up on patreon next week why not yeah you cool. might as well so if you want to get that playlist patreon.com slash encore um but the reason i mentioned nine inch nails craig is because i dug out a clip this week uh from BBC's coverage of Glastonbury back in 2000, I think, right? And our good friends, Adam and Joe. Remember Adam and Joe? I they're, do. Um, they're on hosting duties, I suppose, on BBC, because, you know, ramshackle stuff. And this is how they intro uh, the Nine Inch Nails section of proceedings. I, I, I think it's highly disrespectful, and I wanted to air it on the show. So here it is. Uh, and very soon, we've got Trent Reznor. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for watching now. Uh, we're obviously going to continue all night, but now what could be more exciting than going over to Nine Inch Nails Live on the other stage? What a brilliant name for a stage, the other stage. Not that stage, the other one. These pop kids are crazy. So here we go. Uh, good time to make some tea, because they're not very good. Nine Inch Nails. Steady on. You can't say that about Reznor. Just unfair. I, like, like, I, I found that really... It's Joe Cornish. It's uh, Adam Buxton sounds like maybe a... a- Something of a fan? I think he's doing an ironic thing. They're very ironic lads. Now, in fairness, I love Adam and Joe, but it was like, how dare you? 
Go make well, a cup Adam of tea. They're not very good. Oof. Is a gigantic Bowie fan. So I'd imagine around about this time he was digging the collab stuff, probably. But Joe Cornish, yeah, he strikes me as someone that's more, I don't know, like C86 kind of bands, like your Faye, like your Half Man, Half Biscuits, your, I don't know, Mighty Lemon Drops, that kind of stuff. Maybe I'm wrong. Listen, each to their own, and that's fine. And with that in mind, let's hit the news section. Adam, who's not here, press that button. about the good news so sonic architect adam isn't here uh, he hasn't been here for the last few episodes craig which is very distressing he was off skiing he was at an exhibition he's got a life basically and he is currently doing what we're not doing and despite the fact that we're two very famous and handsome and beloved dublin-based music journalists or kildare yes. in your case i do apologize here, here. the wider dublin if you will um we're not at the choice prize this year he is though he because we're recording this on the night of the prize. I believe the door is open now in about 10 minutes and I'm not even going around the corner to go. Why? Because I've got massive social anxiety. What's your excuse? <laughs> I've got massive leak slipism. <laughs> and um, this show comes first. But it's good that Adam is going, you know, um, skiing straight off the slopes into award season, as is his want. Uh, <laughs> he actually was on the Zoom call very briefly, listener, uh, from was. the back of a cab, glamorous. from the back yeah. of a cab, dressed up very nice on his way as if he was going to like the fucking Brit Awards or something. It's I'm, I'm liking this kind of us not being there, though, do you know what I mean? It's very um, Michael Shannon when he was in that bar in Chicago when the Oscars were on. Yeah. And he actually, he was in a film. Although we're not, we didn't feature on any albums that are nominated. So it's not really like that. It'd be like that if Adam was here, but... um well, we do have friends amongst the pack. I will say, uh, by do. the time this podcast comes out, you'll, have, you'll know who has won. So, you know, if you don't know, keep listening anyway, regardless. Because what we're going to do is, we actually know, I don't think we really talked about the shortlist when it got announced because we were off air at the time. Um, yeah. So let's have a very quick overview. What we're going to do is we're going to go, you and I will go through the list real quick and just basically talk about who we think might win or should win or whatever. And I'll have a thing where I'll do like a drop in where later on tonight when it's announced who wins, I'll do a second piece of audio. I'm bringing you behind the curtain now, listener. Adam will stitch it in seamlessly. And who knows? He's there. He might even jump in himself and give us a brief report. Or he might not. That's up to him. I can't predict what future Adam will do. But in the meantime, Craig, like we say, it'll have been decided by the time that someone is hearing these words. But the shortlist, the 10 nominated acts for the Choice Prize Album of the Year, Irish acts, are Bicep, with Isles, Mick Flannery and Susan O'Neill with In The Game, For Those I Love with For Those I Love, Orla Gartland with Woman on the Internet, Houseplants, Dry Goods, Kojak, Towns Dead, Elaine May, Home, Saint Sister and Where I Should End, Soda Blonde, Small Talk, and Villagers, who I think has been nominated every single time and he's definitely won it once, with Fever Dreams. That's the ten. Uh, I read them pretty quickly, but you have them in front of you, Craig. Who's your money on? Who would you like to see win? Doesn't matter. So I feel like For Those I Love is going to win and probably shouldn't be included in the list. I mean, we talked about that mini controversy, right, didn't we? I believe we have. Well, it's an album that came out, what, three years ago and then disappeared and came back out. (laughs) Yeah, technically. And um, the choice, not the panel, but the organisers did give their, um, what got in their kind of excuses of it, not making the... The final long list, because it had gone offline last time around, which I don't think really means anything. And they also said that like there was a slight change to the track list, which meant it wasn't a reissue, which I'm like, oh, is it a different album? I don't know. I mean, listen, we we love David Balfe. Um, 
I love that record, but I just feel like it's rules are rules. Is well, what my I'm contention, saying. my contention would be on this one that like if it technically didn't exist to be nominated when the nominations came around for the year it was out in, because it was released via Bandcamp. It wasn't put up for commercial sale. It was taken down under mysterious circumstances. We later found out why it was because he was signed by a UK label. But technically, if when the choice rolls around the following year and it isn't physically available, how can you how can you go with it? That, that, that's like a film that like launched on an indie circuit, being up for Best Picture at the Oscars, but there's no public access to it. There's no yeah, access I for anyone to it, unless you download kind of it and kept it. With it. Yeah. Yeah, and also it, it did miss out on the opportunity one year. I don't know. I just I'm not sure I'm I'm comfortable entirely with it. But listen, it, that's that's to interesting do with David because Bell. to be fair, like you're not um, the only person who's who like you know the husband voiced by other people. I know Steve Cummins of the Sunday Times was kind of one of the key proponents on Twitter when the nominations came out. And I should say for anyone who's looking to go back in the past after the award has been announced, uh, the, the Point of Everything podcast this week with Owen O'Sullivan and his guest John Barker did a very good rundown of all the records. And this is a subject that they did discuss. There are people out there, whether in the industry or not, who do who agree with this contention that the For Those Who Love album should not be nominated. I, however, think that it should be, and I think that it should win. I think that it will win. And if it doesn't win, I would be surprised. But if it doesn't win, Craig, I'd put my money on either Saint Sister or Kojak. Saint Sister. Yeah, yeah. I think Saint Sister's in with a really good shout. Um, Just feels like they're on the cusp of something, or they've already achieved a huge amount, but, you know, there's a lot of greatness in that album. But I can imagine... um, the panel this evening just being like let's kind of back you know an act that have delivered something great but also are kind of have a kind of acceleration behind them I think and could go on like again we we sometimes come back to what does the the award actually mean and it means a lot monetarily I guess when you just get down to brass tacks so I mean could that help them possibly yeah, I can see Saints Sister doing it. Kojak's just shout, I haven't spent a huge amount of time with that record. Um, in terms of the, the rest of the pack, I actually still haven't properly listened to the Villagers album, which is shocking, isn't it? Um, because I love all of his stuff. It's one of those ones where I'm just like, well, I'm going to spend a lot of time with that one eventually, so I'll get around to it. And I haven't got around to it because we've been listening to, we've been researching power ballads, Dave. <laughs> um, yeah, I've had a similar journey with it as well. It's clearly a very good album, but I think my brain just isn't in villagers mode at the moment, which is no disrespect to yeah, Connor. I'll definitely return to it. Um, and, and of course, I mean, I, I think it, I think it is a strong list. I mean, like, there's not a dud in the bunch for me, and it's a pleasure to see friends of the show and good friends yeah. of ours, Dahi for, up for Houseplants, Elaine May getting Love nominated for her for her debut album Home, very which was strong, an yeah. album ten years in the making, and it's a fabulous record. Yes. and Elaine's very much on a tear as well, and it's great to see it, and it's great to see it reflected in this way. Orla Gartland, I think, put out a really good record as well. Uh, mm-hmm. The Bicep album really grew on me. I mean, like, I, I don't think like I think John Francis Flynn should have been nominated in my opinion, but like at the behest of who. You know, I, I think it is a good list. But let me ask you this in closing before we kind of move on to the future Dave portion of the podcast. Um, I was talking to someone the other day, a couple of friends, over a couple of Saturday afternoon pints. It was a very enjoyable occasion. Uh, and the choice came up and it was kind of put out there by someone that like, I've heard this phrase before. I want to see what you think of it. Like, you know, music shouldn't, like musicians being pitted against each other, quote unquote, pitted against each other for the purposes of competition. And you'll often see musicians come out and like, you know, I, I think Maya Sophia, when the nominations were announced and people always do this, 
they will, they being musicians, will of course come out and say it's not about this. It's about camaraderie. It's about your own art. It's it's not about accolades, and it's not about certainly being pitted against each other. Uh, I, you know, I'm not quoting Maya there, but I, I I know that that is definitely a phraseology and a kind of a feeling that I've seen do the rounds. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm not a musician. I'm a podcaster. I'm someone who critiques music, but I do love music. I've never seen it that way myself. What do you think? No, it's a celebration, totally. And I think every act that have won over the years has, you know, said something to that effect. Um, when I was a judge, which is probably, might be the 10-year anniversary, isn't it? Me judging of it, you Jesus, being a judge. that's terrifying. Wow. Um, 2012? Fuck. Wow. but I, I remember, yeah, I remember um, Del Rento's getting up um, after a long night of judging. <laughs> And Garon was just immediately like, this is kind of meaningless, like you shouldn't be comparing groups or anything like that. We're just like, well, what did we just spend all that time for? <laughs> but of course he was kind of right. And um, it's all PR, isn't it? It's just about getting the spotlight, getting people's attention by starting a conversation. And I think people's natural inclination is just to start comparing stuff. Every music fan compares music against music. Yeah. You need some context if you're going to critique stuff. But my This kind is of- just kind of gamifying it to try and get eyes and ears on stuff that wouldn't be listened to as much otherwise, I think. So my I'm counterpoint, my counterpoint to this would be like, first of all, well, what's the alternative? Like, just don't yeah, have it. Totally. I mean, and like, what? Don't have the Oscars? Don't have the Brit Awards? Maybe, maybe that's the answer. Maybe don't have awards. But like, it is PR. It is a piss up for the industry that we've been to and we didn't choose to go to tonight. But like, you know, I'm, you know, the FOMO's kicking in, Craig. It, like, it can be a very, very fun night. I mean, sure, there's a. There's a bullshit networking aspect to these events, but I have found that at the Choice Prize before, having been there, I've had a great time, and it's been it's been it's yeah. very very nice to see a lot of people that you know and people you may you may 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 or may not have met before. People are generally in a pretty good mood. I think it is a good Irish distillation of things, and it does actually have that element of people raising each other up and being happy for each other. Like I've 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 not seen any real major fucking fights there before. I'm sure they've happened, but it, it can be a fun it can be a fun gathering of people that otherwise may not happen. But also. I don't understand the pitting each other against each other thing a bit more if it was like a fucking Eurovision thing where there was like a league table at the end of it and it was like oh, in 10th place, that. Kojak. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're like... <laughs> yeah, it's, you're not getting any rankings. There's just a bunch of great albums and one is kind of picked out for slightly more praise. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree, I agree. There's well, no shame. In I wonder if it will be open shut this year as it has been in some years before and it hasn't been in others. I think it may be a more difficult process. It depends on the judges. That's how it goes. Did you see uh, Jim Carroll, the choice chairman, put up a photograph on Twitter there just before we started recording the show of the judging room in BIM. Yeah, they're in BIM. It looks <laughs> like a fucking classroom. It? <laughs> <laughs> like it looks like a, little, like, like a stern classroom. A far cry from the year that Cullen Morrigan of this parish uh, pulled points in the Guinness storehouse yeah, while judging. behind the bar. <laughs> I was in the Morrison, I believe. Where were you? The Morrison? I well, think it was the Morrison you? as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like yeah. a conference room. Slap type up thing. meal. It was great. Great fun. Yeah. Judges get sequestered away. It's a real 12 angry men situation. So. Uh, with that in mind, um, let's throw to Future Dave, who has the winner of this year's Choice Prize. Hello, this is uh, Future Dave, or I guess Present Dave at this point, uh, just pausing my, uh, my my rewatch of Batman, Mask of the Phantasm, uh, before I go see the new Batman film on Friday. Um, good movie, this one, Mask of the Phantasm, animated movie feature length that's not why that's not what you want to hear about though is it as you probably know as we said we'd update uh we didn't attend the choice show the choice music prize but it has been announced in the last few minutes that for those i love 
is the winner of the Choice Music Prize, the RTE Choice Music Prize for 2022. Uh, that was my my lock of the week going in. I felt there couldn't really be any other winner. At this point, I would encourage anybody listening who, for whatever reason, hasn't, uh, go back and listen to our episode with Dave Balfe. For those who love, it's number 266, No Encore 266, from April of last year. For those I love, uh, it was a hell of an interview that we did. Uh, I say that because he gave a hell of an interview. I think he's a hell of a guy, a hell of a human being. I have found myself, since this album was released, uh, in its first iteration back in 2019, I found myself in the strange position of... Uh, fucking going so hard for <laughs> for an artist on a record that like I mean I happen to kind of become friendly with the guy along the way but like uh, sometimes I kind of catch myself and I'm like am I just am I just doing PR for this record because you know like does it come across as something kind of strange but I I can't think of many Irish albums over the last kind of decade or so or ever really I know that's hyperbolic but seriously um that have kind of hit me to such an extent, um, obviously we talked earlier in the show about the should it be eligible type of conversation, but like who fucking cares at this point? I mean, uh, it was nominated and I think it should have been. I, I think it would have been a, a real kind of uh, error, really, and just kind of a sad thing if it wasn't put up to be celebrated. You can get into the weeds on these things and ultimately at the end of the day, you know, it is about, as Craig said, a celebration of a collection of albums and in the end one of them has to be named out. But uh, one of the judges uh, texted me uh, shortly after leaving the room and just said, intense. Uh, Holy shit, intense is what they said. And so I don't think it was just a foregone conclusion. These things rarely are. I mean, you know, even when it seems like the most obvious winner. Conversations will be had. Deliberations will be had over the course of hours. Um, people care. Uh, the judges involved, people give a shit about this kind of thing. And it wouldn't have surprised me. Well, maybe it would have. It wouldn't have shocked me. Maybe it would have. I don't know. If like a saint sister came out of the hat or whatever. But like, I think for those I love is the is the worthy winner of this, of this accolade. Um, but it's more than the choice prize. It's an album that will live forever, I think. And... I caught, uh, it was a live stream up briefly, and I caught the end of Dave Balfe's victory speech there, uh, which he, of course, dedicated to his his best friend, Paul Curran. And from what I could glean from the minute or so I tuned in, he was speaking quite emotionally about the situation and about the communal element of the music that he makes and the art that he makes. And it's one of the many things that struck me about that album the first time I heard it. Uh, it really did feel like something unique and different and special. I think it is. I, I really, really do. That's kind of why I find myself continually going back and just saying publicly how much this has moved me. Um, I hope it never comes across as gauche. <laughs> but I do think uh, he made a really fucking special record. I think he made a, a special work of art. And it's very uh, pleasing, I think, to see it honoured in this fashion. Um, he's a hell of a guy. Like, from my interactions with him whether it was on that podcast episode that I would encourage you to go back and listen to, or whether it's just kind of the handful of times we would have went for kind of coffee together when we were working nearby before the pandemic hit. Uh, spending time in the guy's company, uh, like, you can't fake that level of genuine self, I don't think. I really don't think you can. Um, he's a humble guy. He's a, There's a ton of conviction about him. And I think he shared something very brave and personal with the world. I think it's taken on a life of its own. Uh, I think it's imbued by the spirit of the people that are 
characters on the album, real people who led real lives, lead real lives and contribute in that way. And I think to harness all that into one kind of coherent narrative, uh, which is effortlessly compelling and veers between um, very heavy, um, dense, kind of sometimes overwhelming music and vocals into uh, some tracks that genuinely make you want to dance. Uh, it takes skill to do that, to pull that off. Uh, I think there's a reason why people responded to this beyond just the text. I think a lot of people can take a lot from it and it is an album that invites you to protect so much upon it. And there's a lot on his shoulders, a lot on Dave Bell's shoulders in terms of what he has done, what he will do next. I hope he does something completely different, personally, going forward with the project. He ha- he has said before, I think he even said it on the choice stage there tonight, that he has the bones of a second record. So he is looking to continue uh, with the art that he creates. And I think we're lucky to have him. I think that the Irish music world is lucky to have him. I think Ireland is lucky to have him. And I think he's a I think he's a hell of a dude. And I'm very, very happy for him. So congratulations to Dave Balfe and for those I love. I'm going to go back and watch the last 10 minutes of Batman Mask of the Phantasm, 1993. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, Adam will make all this sound good uh, and make the show continue to move. And I'm going to stop talking now. So uh, on with the show. Congratulations for those I love. RT Choice Music Prize winner 2022. It is Sonic Architect here with May Kay. Hey! Your performance was beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. With Elaine. It was great. It's mad being on stage with all those deadly women. <laughs> Lois, Sinead White, Alvaretti, Elaine May. It, it was, was just madness. It was so good. It was and it was like, too brief. It, yeah. We it, were all like weird backstage after just holding each other it's too much too much adrenaline well thanks for taking five minutes out of your no doubt extremely busy schedule for the evening let's face it we're we're all socialising yeah Um, so for those I love is the winner of the choice prize we now know that Um, personally I kind of thought that was what was going to happen anyway Um, what was your reaction to the news and how like how do you feel like it was received kind of wholly among the nominees and just generally yourself what was your what's your take on the on the choice so i've been a bridesmaid many times and never the bride when it comes to the choice prize and i know what it feels like bizarrely when there's a huge favorite and for those I love was the big favourite this year yeah. it's quite it's a, it's actually not a nice feeling to be another nominee because you don't yeah. want to win <laughs> and I'm not the nominee sorry I'm on Elaine May's album it's not my yeah. but it actually well, is no, a, it's a weird affili- feeling there's affiliation there yeah definitely yeah, yeah. it's a weird feeling because you know and I'm and, and, and uh, Kev Kojak yeah. you know that I'm, I'm, I'm there with his family and they're you know it's the first time I've ever known the choice prize where it could have been literally anyone's prize tonight anybody um, I don't think there was an act on stage that would have been announced tonight where it wouldn't have gotten a nice response yes but yeah. it was visceral when Dave Balf got announced as the winner tonight and it was nothing short of absolutely perfect like yeah. it's not that's not just an album it's not just a piece of work you know what you've got is right women like me um, across the world at the moment talking about how we just want men to fix things because they need to fix themselves to stop all this mad shit happening 
and you've got lads like Kev Smith, Kojak and Dave Balfour, those I love, on stage with tears in their eyes talking about their feelings and crying and, and, and being angry and being sad and expressing it through art and through music and like give them more fucking awards like I it is so incredible to me that I think probably I'd say Kojak came second I don't think there isn't a second place award but I'd say he came second yeah. and these are two gorgeous people who have dealt with some serious adversity in their lives and have every excuse to be pricks and they're not they're deadly lads who are exploring their own trauma um I suppose with the goal of making art, but also with the goal of like processing it, processing it, yeah. and helping other people to process it. Yeah. So yeah, give give Dave Valve every award going, and if there's any left over, give it to Kojak. And just so grateful to open the show. Me and four deadly women. That was amazing. The you know, was right, the whole the whole night was. Wonderful. And for those I love, was the absolute outright deserved winner. So glad. Thank you very much. Appreciate you taking the time. Okay, so that was Future Dave telling us all about the choice. Adam may or may not have been in there because Future Dave can't predict everything. But what he can do, Craig, uh, is talk about ongoing serious events in the world which are not good of course Russia's ongoing invasion of Ukraine what a jarring segue that was but the reason I bring it up is for a musical purpose Uh, the news broke last week we figured it should be mentioned Russia had been kicked out of the Eurovision Song Contest and also lots of other things what do you think? The ultimate indignation really if this won't stop Putin I don't know what will Um, yeah I mean joking aside it had to be done Um, it's been heartening I guess to see the unified response from Um, nations with, I was going to say sense, but that might be giving them too much credit, but that aren't going down as insane a path as um, the Russian leadership has been doing. So, um, yeah, it took, did it, yeah, it took a while for the European Broadcasting Union to sort this out. It was kind of a real FIFA thing where they're like, how much can we get away with? Um, So they'd initially said that Russia would still be allowed to compete despite the invasion um, then there was pressure from broadcasters right across Europe. So the EBU has made a U-turn. They published a statement basically saying that the country wouldn't be taking part. Um, and as I say, that was very similar to um, the situation in football where you had the suggestion of like, how about if they just like play under a kind of Pro Evo style fake team name? Like, I don't know, Volgasoid Red or Tradbricks or something. Or, um, oh, Trad Bricks. Or, <laughs> Trad Bricks, man. It was <laughs> nice an Pro Evolution Soccer were, reference there for everyone to enjoy. Yeah. Or FU, I think they were going to say, let's just call it the Russian Football Union team or something. And people were like, no, let's not. Oppression FC, and yeah. Then FIFA said, okay, fair enough, um, which was good, but. It wasn't it would be, good. <laughs> like, let's well, not praise it was a them. small bit of good. I mean, they learned their lesson. I'm sure they won't do it again. They will do it again. Um, yeah, notoriously fair from, organization, FIFA. But oh, sorry, go Jesus, on. yeah. I mean, I guess aside from the moral decision here in terms of Eurovision and the decisions across the board, can you imagine 
the Eurovision taking place with Russia in it, just in terms of like, how awkward would that be? Yeah. And also, no matter how good they would be, like the, the, the act who aren't to blame whatsoever would be, I'm guessing they would get very few votes, right? It would be quite the thing if they were fucking topping the polls. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, like there is... <laughs> the song was just that damn good. <laughs> like, well, we don't like do it. it 12 points, Russia. <laughs> Didn't like it, but he had to go along with it. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I mean... It feels weird even kind of like joking about this kind of stuff when obviously the yeah. atrocities that are taking place. But but there is a weird cultural side shift to this. I mean, like things are still occurring in a pop culture sense. Like there are frivolous things in the world that will continue to be frivolous. And like as this thing is happening and unfolding in real time in front of us through Twitter and everywhere else and like constant news bulletins and reports. And it's just very, very hard to take your eyes off it. Um, and there's there's going to be just weird things like this where it's like, how do you possibly even present it? Like I saw a thing this week, I think it was like some ITV morning show. It was like Lorraine or something. And she was like hauled over the coals for, I think they'd done a package in Ukraine and it was obviously very harrowing and serious. And then it cut back to Lorraine, the student. She was like, well, you know, life goes on. And then she was like, and for pop punk star, Avril Lavigne. Oh, wow. But people went, people like really like were at her hard over this. And I'm not saying that like that was appropriate, but I've seen worse. I've seen worse links. I've done worse links. You know, it's like fucking hell. I mean, you like, you know, I guess you're just trying to like not be jarring and try and on a weird variety morning show. This is not me stepping in to defend Lorraine Kelly. I just found it to be like, I think it very much is you stepping in to defend Lorraine Kelly. (laughs) You know, now that I've, now that I've really ascertained. Right there with you. Um, Listen, people aren't always perfect when they're doing links or otherwise. I mean, just what she's hosting some light entertainment chat show thing just that she has be... another segment to go to she yeah. has to do that I don't they're know. not gonna what should she do? do like present the Ukrainian package and then walk off and say there's nothing else that is as important as this going on so let's cancel every show I do, like a, yeah and like life just, goes on is one of those all, yeah, it's, it's one of those trite go, phrases but like but you know it's kind of like, it was you know. ever thus I mean we're just we need to get on somehow and keep our own sanity because the alternative is just constantly doom scrolling and worrying about like nuclear you know annihilation or me last Friday night who went to bed I just got into a thing of reading about everything that was going on being quite concerned sticking on the um the multiple webcams around Ukraine as like bombing started and just being like, I want to kind of see what's going on. Falling asleep with them on, like the opposite of like some ASMR video of just like bombings going on. It's like, I'm not doing that again. So we need to, you know, retain our own sanity while showing support, of course. It's funny because like like, like, like something like like would get recommended to you by like a therapist would be like, you know, take a break from the news. And it's like, well, first of all, uh, if you work in it to some extent, as I do, uh, not possible, mate. I'm literally like, I've come in from work. I'm doing the podcast now. I'm up at seven in the morning and and like I have to, I have to catch up on what's been going on overnight. Um, and that's the, that's the way for like a lot of people not to diminish. I mean, obviously like the fucking, the horrors of war, thankfully are thousands of miles from my door and hopefully that will be the case forever. That's my own personal experience. I feel selfish even saying it, but like for, uh, for generations of people who are consuming this current moment through social media and just like through it's, I guess the overall point that I'm struggling to make here is that like, it is bizarre when even like putting this podcast together this week and it's like looking up stories and it's like Liam Gallagher said this. Meanwhile, like in another tab, I have yeah. President Zelensky of Ukraine giving an emotional address. It's 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 fucking head 
smashingly strange and difficult and with that in mind craig uh talking about fucking awkward linkage let's try one how would you feel about a madonna film see there's no easy way to do it i'm very excited about this madonna film um i think it's the thing that will unite i I don't know i can't even joke but it's it's being written and is it being directed as well or just produced by madonna i don't think she's directing it but she's definitely got creative control which is important and she herself has kind of outlined this before in previous interviews i think she said that like people have been trying to make films about her for years which would make sense and she herself is an actress and can be a very good one on her day um well, hang on. Is that accurate? <laughs> like, she's pretty terrible in most things. I've she was seen. in Evita. She's, Wasn't she pretty good in Evita? Yeah, we did a no popcorn about that one, and I've forgotten if she was good or not. I think she was. She's definitely capable. She was in some sex film with Willem Dafoe. Wasn't she? Was some sex film. Yeah, of course I know. Of course I know the name of this, Craig. <laughs> Go on. Body, Body of, of Evidence. <laughs> Body of we evidence. don't know the name of it. Yeah, yeah, that was that was one of those basic instincts, post basic instinct rip offs, like type type situations where she like pours candle wax candle on Will- wax. Willem Dafoe. Yeah. He'll do anything. <laughs> <laughs> He'll do absolutely anything. Oh, complete VHS trash era. Yeah, for sure. Um, she got swept away. Of course, a great film that everyone enjoys, but. She's definitely got like, you know, um, one foot in Hollywood and she wants this thing to be accurate and for her involvement to be there. She said that like any kind of treatment that she would have been met with before about her life was always written by men. And she felt it was very important for a woman's voice, specifically hers, to be involved. But the latest news on this, Craig, is that a bunch of actors have been kind of named this week as people who've been involved in the auditioning process. The Hollywood Reporter had a really good, interesting kind of article on today saying that at the moment, it would appear that the shortlist includes names like Julia Garner, you might have seen in that TV show Ozark, or a very good film from a couple of years ago called The Assistant. Uh, Florence mm-hmm. Pugh, who of course is now becoming a superstar name thanks to her involvement in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, there's also on this list Odessa Young, who I don't know, uh, Emma Laird, who I don't know, and Euphoria star Alexa Demi, who's in a brilliant film called Waves. And I'd seen a previous uh, report that Sydney Sweeney, also of Euphoria fame, is also in the running for this role, although she's not in the current Hollywood Reporter roster, so maybe she was, maybe she's no longer in consideration. There's also rumours that maybe a musician like Bebe Rexa or a Sky Ferreira, who are big fans of on this show, could yeah. in fact land the role. Um, I think ultimately... A lot of those names are quite strong. I mean, even like Julia Garner, like, you know, from a visual perspective, like very much looks like 80s era Madonna. Um, but like, according to this report, the uh, people auditioning are, it's not just coming in and reading some lines. It's pretty fucking intense. Uh, 11 hour day choreography sessions with Madonna's choreographer, after which there's choreography sessions with Madonna herself, callbacks, which consist of readings oh with Madonna and singing auditions with her as well. Oh God. Uh, the quote here <laughs> I'm is... i anxious just reading this. Those poor, <laughs> poor actors. <laughs> it's very like 1920s. Uh, it says here, you have to be able to do everything, says one person with knowledge of the process. So, I mean, at least, unlike say, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody, it sounds like she's really trying to get this one fucking as ironclad 100% as it could possibly be but at the same time is this I mean, a whole Hogan her favorite subject <laughs> is this is this a whole Hogan and WCW situation too much creative control brother i don't know um i like the, uh, i feel like this might actually end up being if not great, then quite compelling for numerous reasons. I like the effort she's pouring into it. I kind of like that dedication to it. I, reading that list of names, and I knew maybe half of them at a push, but I was just thinking, I mean, do you remember that Dylan film where like Kate Blanchett played him and a bunch of other actors? Was, I'm not there. Or, I'm not there, yeah. 
Yeah, Heath Ledger, Ledger well, Walking Phoenix, I think maybe possibly. Or like I... Dylan, a bit of a kind of master of reinvention. Madonna, one of the masters of reinvention, just cast loads of actors to portray her in different periods of her life. That's yeah, great Willem idea. Dafoe to portray her in like, I don't know, her late 30s or something. Just mix it up. Can I um, get different aspects of Madonna? That's can, I what throw, I want. can I throw a name into this? So I don't Go know on. if they did interact. Surely they must have. Their paths must have crossed. How about we get David Bowie in this movie? But he's played by Tilda Swinton. Yes, it needs to happen. Yeah. I agree. I think that would yeah, be perfect. That definitely needs to happen. Um, right. I'll agree. I'll definitely check it out. We're, we need to get a note to Madonna's people. <laughs> we're, we're booking this on the fly. Um, <laughs> uh, projects that didn't happen, though, and who knows, maybe the Madonna thing, it might not. Development hell and all that. Um, but according to Ben Stiller, uh, the Rolling Stones almost had their own film made by him, but the actor struggled to convince the majority of the band to endorse it. He was speaking on Craig's favourite programme in the world, The Howard Stern Show. Uh, <laughs> so I assume you've heard this. No, I don't listen to that much Howard Stern Show. I mean, I think you need a serious um, subscription, which I don't currently have. I'm not sure I ever did, Dave, but legally I can say I did. Um, That's fair. Um, yeah. But yeah, so Ben Stiller was trying to make a Stones movie in the 90s. Uh, he said he was very bad at pitching stuff and apparently Mick Jagger was involved. He also, speaking of creative control, uh, he wanted concert footage with comedy scenes dispersed in between. Apparently this was going to be a comedic take on the Stones. Um, yeah, it was um, going to mm. be Stiller and Brad Pitt playing like mega fans of the Rolling Stones and like following them throughout like a gig or something, a kind of like a snapshot of a, a, a night with these kind of crazed super fans trying to get close to the band or and then kind of Stones numbers in between. It, I went and I listened to the clip um, and it, it does seem like it was... It, the whole concept was Mick Jagger's idea and then he re, he like got Ben Stiller on board to convince the rest of the band and Ben Stiller was like yeah we could do this I think this could be funny and he found himself in like he was telling um, Howard Stern that the band at the time were like rehearsing in some gymnasium like some school gymnasium so he had to go and like meet the entire band and Mick, prior to this, was just like, they're not really on board. And they went into like some side room in this gymnasium and they all sat around and like Ben Stiller just pitched. Like, <laughs> I don't, I, this, this doesn't sound like the best like concept ever. He was like, I, I was trying to tell them how funny it would be. Even just the idea of comedy and rock and roll. Like, would anybody really want to see the funny fans, the super fan guys? Um, I don't think they would. I don't know how this would work. Maybe I just don't have the imagination for it. But um Howard Stern was definitely like, this wouldn't have worked. <laughs> Do you think this would have worked, Dave? Uh, define worked. I mean, maybe. I mean, Ben Stiller, like in the 90s, was more interesting than he is now. He was making stuff like The Cable Guy, which is obviously flawed, but I still think it's funny and yeah, dark like and interesting. Uh, Reality Bites, did he make that as well? Like, I mean, he's, it's not beyond him to make a layered project, but I think, you know, Ben Stiller somewhere along the way just became an Adam Sandler, Ryan Reynolds type, where it's like, let's just do the easiest thing for the most money. Um, and yeah. in fairness, guys, that's what the American dream is all about. But as we all know... I uh, want to do that. Rock stars and movies... Great. Rock stars and movies can be can be a potent mix. Right now, Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters are in cinemas, uh, I presume. Uh, maybe it'll be a limited run with the film Studio 666. Are you aware of this project, Craigo? Yeah, I've seen the trailer, man. It looks terrible. It does, yeah. <laughs> I previously said on this podcast that it, it might be good because actually Dave Kroll has a sense of humour and their previous um, music videos, etc, etc, etc. And it's just like, oh my God. It's got so many jokes 
quote unquote jokes crammed into the trailer that I'm I'm gotta believe that they've tried to get every ounce of funny into it so people will see it and none of the jokes work um Looks quite gory in a kind of camp, funny way. I mean, yeah. maybe it can be a laugh. I the don't premise know. of the film is that the Foo Fighters are trying to, they're struggling to record their 10th album. But don't worry, we all know that they did record their 10th album, Medicine at Midnight, which I believe got quite the kicking on this show last year. But um, it's basically them, exaggerated versions of themselves in a mansion that's haunted. Dave Grohl gets possessed and the band start getting killed off one by one. Uh, by From what I have heard, though, the gore element of the film, like the horror kind of nasty stuff, is in there and it's quite strong, <laughs> like surprisingly so. But apart yeah. from that, that's pretty much your only kind of reason to uh, watch it. However, uh, I'm aware that no popcorn has been off the air for a while. It will come back soon and we will be doing Studio 666 at some point, so don't worry. Oh, that'll be um, okay. But Dave Grohl has been doing the media rounds. He spoke to my own Joe.ie recently and talked about the Slain gig from 2015 when you know they were rained out and all that kind of stuff. But he's said other things does too. He, does he love Ireland? Dave? Can I just shock you? Come on. He loves Irish people and Ireland <laughs> and thinks that, you know, it's great. <laughs> so uh, he's done a bunch of interviews. He spoke to the UK Independent and he had there was a line here that jumped out at me because it was similar to stuff Craig has said before. Uh, Girls has praised Billie Eilish for starting what he calls a rock and roll revolution. So not quite the new rock revolution that Craig is usually clinging to, of course, at all times. But he said the rock music is a different game now for younger acts, but certainly still relevant. Uh, rock is dead, yada, yada, yada. He called it some acts that he really likes, including Billy Eilish. Now, he also said that he's a big fan about, uh, of that band Wet Leg, who are a British band who I've said before, I don't know if I've said it on the show, but I will. I'll, 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 I'll make this uh, I'll make this big declaration right now. Or maybe we did talk about this. I've yet to listen to them. I never will. Because the name Wet Leg is fucking atrocious. And the fact that the fact that it's Wet Leg with their debut single, Shays Long, I'm like, you know what? Keep it. That Shays Long song is, I just find it insufferable. Um, I get why maybe it does something for some people, but it's so arch and just so, uh, the irony is dripping off. Uh, the band name, yeah, I can't. I can't be dealing with Wet Leg. I'm sorry. Um, and okay. if this is what, like... Dave Grohl is into. You don't have to apologize, Greg. It's okay. I I know you're saying like that. He's more or less paraphrasing me, and I suppose he is in the extent that he's like bigging up Billie Eilish. And I think maybe when we've reviewed her previous work, I've jumped to like comparisons of like she's kind of like a young Kurt Cobain or something. She could be a voice of a generation, or there's an authenticity or a connection or something there, which is yeah interesting. And I think there is something in that maybe. Um, but he's basically saying that she's extremely rock and roll like when you look at her you know that's rock and roll and i'm like i don't really know what that what is right like what she does isn't really rock music like, i think he's you know, talking he, about the personality which you were just touching on previously there it's like the kind of the image the attitude the style the legions of fans the you know it's like I'm he's I think he's doing the well I'm just a I'm just a tired old dad now and I go out with my guitar but she's where it's at though guys you know he's giving a leg up to that unknown youngster Billy Eilish yeah I don't know just when he's like there's lots of great young kind of bands killing it they, they might be as popular as Nicki Minaj and I'm like Nicki Minaj is kind of rock and roll I mean if you're t- talking about attitude I don't know it just seems to be very you know based in having just having guitars and like I don't know I don't know if rock and roll means anything anymore there I said it alright that's fair okay rock is dead says Craig Fitzpatrick so I had planned on closing off this new section because Craig had announced to me during the week that he was about to stick on part one of the Kanye West Netflix oh, documentary yeah. <laughs> and I said we, I said we could have it Craig and Kanye if you have watched it and Craig has added into my uh, notes here he didn't so you didn't watch it no my internet connection it, I kept, it kept buffering and I was like, oh God. And actually, do you know what? I was like, 
I don't know if I'm emotionally ready yet. I'm not. And he's also, again, I mean, like, this bad bad behaviour yet again. Like, I'm, I've been gearing up to try and watch this Kanye documentary. I do want to see it. I will watch it, but I'm not quite there yet. But you did throw a couple of other stories into the running order, Craig. Do you want to close out the news section with at least one of them before we get to our top five? Yeah, which would you like? Would you like Snoop being saved by the Queen or would you like 30 second songs on Spotify? Snoop being saved by the Queen. <laughs> okay. For the headline alone that I put in, Corgis ain't only dog the Queen adores. <laughs> Excellent work. Nice. nice <laughs> Double enough. G's, of course. Um, so Snoop Dogg was doing um, an interview with DJ Wukid uh, recently and he um, was talking about calls to ban him from the UK during the 90s. Uh, while he was fighting a murder case at the time, he was ultimately acquitted. I can kind of understand how maybe there were some people that were a bit like, should he be allowed legally into the country while this murder case is ongoing? Can you imagine um, if uh, you were able to say to someone, oh, I was fighting a murder case at the time. I know, and now he's like the lovable Snoop Dogg that like hangs out with Martha Stewart and is doing the Super Bowl. And she was in prison as well, actually, wasn't she? She was, yeah. Tax evasion, though, not murder. That's true. Um, but it's it's, it's a form that. of murder, though, isn't it? It's murder of the economy, you could say. Thank you. Yes, it is. Um, but he's quoted as saying, they kicked me out of the UK. Kick this evil bastard out, um, was the headline that he was quoting in the Daily Star. It was an actual headline back in 1994. He says, it's a headline that shit is documented. They had a picture of me on the front. Um, he was explaining that UK residents were calling on officials to ban him from the region due to multiple <clears> charges. Um, and then he says, but guess who came to my defence? Just take a guess. <laughs> the article goes, Wu took a few seconds to think it over before Snoop revealed it was Queen Elizabeth who had his back. <laughs> wow. The <laughs> quote is the Queen. The Queen said, this man has done nothing in our country. Now these quotes don't seem to exist anywhere else, I should point out. He can come. The Queen, bow down. When the Queen speak, bow down. That's Harry and William's grandmother, you dig? <laughs> Which is, of course, her most important title. There's also no way this that. happened, by the way. This is complete fabrication. I know. You think you think they weren't there saying, Grandma, please let him in, Grandma. He's okay. We love his music. But also, they're, they're still quite also, young, sorry. aren't they? 1994. But, I think they were begging the Queen to let Snoop in. But the quote, like the image of, like, where did she say this? Like, what, what, what press conference did she burst into? Well, he goes on to fabricate even more Queen quotes. Um, you know, Harry, I'll let him in for you. It's not so bad after all. And he's quite cute. The Queen, that's my gal. He's <laughs> quite cute. Now, by the way, this story was in many, many publications online. And I tried to do some digging to like, well, if this was like a campaign in the mid 90s, is there any old articles of this being a thing? You did a fact check did the on qu- this, did there, you, Craig? Yeah, I did a, f- a quick fact check. There's no references whatsoever to the Queen getting involved or, I don't know, Buckingham Palace or someone attached to her or maybe the government. I, I don't know. Like, clearly he was allowed to perform. But I think he's just fabricated this whole quite beautiful fancy, I think. Maybe she is a fan, I don't know. But I just love that every story that ran with these quotes didn't try and fact check whatsoever. They were just like, here's the quotes, that's the story. Yeah, and that's I mean, this is unfortunately the aggregation age. I myself am guilty of these things, but uh, you'd you'd like to think that the job of, you know, letting Snoop Dogg into the country would probably like fall down to like, I don't know, the culture secretary or someone. Like it's not going to be the (laughs) fucking Queen of England, but it's a nice story. It is. She dead yet, by the way? Um, well, that was another story in rounds, wasn't it? According been, to what was it, J- Jason Lee of Hollywood Unlocked, that was ridiculous, uh, she, was, yeah. she was dead for about a week. I love how he just kept doubling down. <laughs> then he came like, back and he was like, came back and was like, "Here's ten reasons why we published this thing, why we believed the that I she was it. that she was a goner." But uh, still with us, I still believe. Around. Yeah, um, you know, 
she obviously has some famous offspring. We know this, but they're not yes. musicians, Craig. Now that's a link, let me tell you. Uh, it's Beautiful. time for our top five, everybody. It's top five musical offspring. Um, kind of one that we decided upon. Was I, I think I was saying we could do like award show moments or something. Uh, but that was yeah, shot for, down mercilessly by Craig, who then I think we should revisit it, but it just a, felt like something that would require quite a bit of preparation. And then, true. of course, it mightn't have brought on the existential crisis that um, my own choice got. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> Joke's on me. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes, uh, of course. Amazing. So hang on. I, it's been a while since we've done Best and Worst. We like to finish on Best so that we finish on a high note. Oh, yeah. Which means you have to go first, I think. Is that how this works? Yeah, I'll go first. And I know I, I introed this by saying it's, it's mainly the songs that I'm raging against here. Yes, yeah, so sorry. Just as a quick and refresher more, or for anyone yeah. who skips the first half of the show, we are discussing... So, yes, go on. It, yeah, um, so people, celebrities that have musical parents and kick-started their own kind of music career, the way I was looking at it was, you know, the parents had to be kind of someone you would know because, you know, you hear a lot of major kind of musicians and their, like, dad was, a you know, a jazz player back in the 50s or something. You're like, oh, that's an interesting in, thing. Like, yeah. Marillion or something, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Even Marillion, I don't think, quite make the cut. <laughs> But um, yeah, so this is the kind of the musical offspring of kind of titans maybe of music or at least people we know. And um, yeah, sympathy and respect for my worst list um, up to a point. We'll get to that. Um, that being said, this list is littered with rubbish. Let's focus on the song. Oh, in the case of this song, the more I've been listening to this clip, I'm like, I don't know if it's a dreadful, dreadful song. I think maybe, and this might give it away slightly, my, my clip should have gone to a duet she did with her dad. Oh yeah, okay, that is I know who this is. I the know who this absolute is. pinnacle yeah. and nadir of her musical career. It was just awful, awful rubbish. Um, but this was, I think, one of the first shots across the bows. This is, this is an original song, anyway, the first original. And it deeply irritated me first go round, so that's why I've included it. Uh, another reason to include it is I think maybe you might end up being an apologist for this song. And another reason is that <laughs> me. It's been it's been we'll see. We'll Mission. see. <laughs> but also you might be able to help me out because it reminds me of another song from around that time and I can't figure out what the melody is. Oh good. So I always enjoy is. being put on the spot during a live recording with this kind of stuff, Craig. <laughs> Let's do it. Mr. Quizmaster, go oh, ahead. The, go the specificity of the request here. Let's just play the clip. I'm putting it out there to the listener, okay? If they can help us post show, that's fine as well. Yeah, okay. Let's go. <laughs> Blah, 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 blah. That's what it sounds like you said to me. You nag and you bring and I gag. so much. <laughs> it's Kelly Osborne. <laughs> Shut up. The blah, 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 gotcha. It did. Yeah, that was very funny. Uh, I'm not an apologist for this song. How dare you? Oh, uh, you never know. That's you never true. Know. That's fair. I've I mean, given, it's that supercharged. I, I've given you of... just cause before. <laughs> There's, you know, it's it's veering towards the emo. It might be, you know, I, I'm not saying you loved it at the time, but it might have been one of those ones that you've somehow revisited and been like, you know what, actually, that melody was fine. And, you know, she was out there doing it and... Some credit, <laughs> anyway, please, Craig. Okay, my apologies. Do you know 
what song it's ripping off I because mean, it is that honestly, blah 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 melody that, that is definitely it, uh, uh, the problem with this is I heard about 16 different fucking acts in that like I mean you could, it could be anything this from is, yeah. the Distillers to the Donnas to just basic Avril Lavigne Joan Jett. Um, yeah it's very Joan it's Jetty as well uh, it's like there's nothing there's what year did this come out did you say sorry so this was 2002 okay um, so it's kind of pre My Chemical Romance in the mainstream so it's not even them but it's such a like watered down pick every kind of trope from that kind of genre right there probably is a very obvious one and i really hope the listeners know it and if you know it at no Anchor show on twitter uh yeah, at it's Henry that, Dave, it's, probably get, yeah you, you'll get us on our personal accounts faster craig at craigie slane just like let us know please because it could be it's anyone. that first melody it's the that's Aberdeen, isn't it that's um that's complicated like you know that like what what you just did there is definitely complicated by Avril Lavigne. Like shut up, what you waiting for, or whatever the fuck. fuck it is complicated. Oh, hey. Excuse my French. Yes, you did it. Yeah. Put it down that tweet, oh, listener. Total, but hang on, Avril which came out Levine. first? Because that was two thousand two as well. So, oh, could this possibly? Maybe, okay, actually, well, hold on. You're going to do some fact <laughs> are checking. Are you suggesting <laughs> that Avril Lavigne heard Kelly Osbourne shut up and was like? But all, but like it's all it. one big rip off though of like the aforementioned Legacy acts L seven. People like that, like you know, it's very like kind of yeah. I'll fa- I'll fact check when Shut Up came out because no, I do no, know no, this, this emerged. Actually, do you know this was probably two thousand and three because the Osbournes debuted in two thousand and two. Right. So there must have been some breeding room where like this was very much in the wake of that. Surely she feuded, quote unquote, with Avril Lavigne. There must have been. I'm I'm more punk than you. I can see the headlines now, in, like People Magazine. This must have do happened. Reckon hundred percent. I mean, Google it. She is kind of a bit... Google her right now. Call him a sec. All right. Um, I'm not an apologist for the song, but, I, but what I will say, though, is the emo thing is interesting that you brought up because I actually just interviewed... Um, I interviewed James Winston McMorrow this week because he's uh, putting on a couple of themed nights in Wheelands next week. One of them is an yeah. emo night in which he's doing emo covers, so I was just chatting to him about emo music for a while, which was a lot of fun. The man fucking knows his stuff, let me tell you. Um, so I've, I've very good much got him. a... <laughs> it's a great genre, Craig. Why are you being so disparaging? It is. It is. 100% um, good for him. Yeah, no, he like like knows his onions. But uh, we, were, we were chatting about that. Also, he's doing a night of indie rock, and one of the songs he's covering, The Rat by The Walkmen. So there you go. <laughs> all is forgiven <laughs> I need that in my life <laughs> now he's a good lad he is a, a good lad knows his stuff I mean yeah. but, 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 but the point that Hold he was on. making the Hold point on. that I was making was that like, oh, yeah, you know, it can on. take on many forms and it is about how it hits you so I understand where you were going when you thought that I might have tuned into this song however what I would say is it's just you know, I think uh, I think true emos know, Craig. They know a bad emo song when they hear it, and that's what this is. But well, her first, do you remember her first single, which was the duet um, with, with a cover? No, I think I believe that was the third, which was her big hit. Actually, changes. the only one that kind of hit. Yeah, changes. Which, can I just which say, is a really nice Black Sabbath song. But can I just say one of the worst covers, one of the worst songs I've ever heard oh in my, my life, God. and probably would be on that kind of hell. Now that's what I call Dave going to hell music, along with like these words, my attached band and feel yeah, because I, I do associate with working in Extravision, and it was all always on and I was like if I hear that fucking chorus one more time but I'm the, going to defenestrate myself also, that was you know the root of the problem with this kind of music career where it was I believe she was still like 18 19 at the time obviously the Osbournes was gigantic like that show was a phenomenon uh, at the heart of all that kind of reality TV show stuff that MTV started really laying into at that time and so of course like Papa Don't Preach was the first single I oh, kind wow. of punked up scuzzy version of that where <laughs> she was just like, uh, she was just jadedly going through the motions on it. I believe she did it at the VMAs. Um, and I've got some interesting updates in terms of the Avril thing here. So 
like there's quotes from Kelly Osbourne being like, she said she regretted her music career and she's more into um, like big pop songs. And she was just like put into a kind of Avril Lavigne lane or, you know, that kind of punky lane, which was all the rage at the time. And she said that like her first time simming, singing in public was at the VMAs. Oh God. <laughs> she did pop it on breach. And it's like, it just kind of sums up everything that can be wrong about like musical offspring where it's just like, she's given this huge platform Probably not even sure she wants it herself. Like, she's just a kid. Why wouldn't she kind of do it? But, like, we don't need that. And, you know, Papa Don't Preach clearly just picked because there's a kind of reference to, like, not getting along with your dad. And then the Changes song, which is, like, a beautiful ballad, the original, from, I think, Black Sabbath 4. It's about, like, Bill Ward's um, relationship with his wife falling apart. And the lyrics were like changed to be like about like, you know, daddy, I love you. <laughs> and like, we're we're going our separate ways, but my baby has grown now. Like the most saccharine, awful, like melodrama, b- contrived bullshit. Here's the update. Um, Avril Lavigne and Kelly Osbourne at VMAs 2003. There's an 18 second clip that I'm just going to click into. They're standing side by side. Um... <laughs> I'll describe it to you now. Kelly Osborne is wearing a t-shirt that says Young, Willing and Dangerous. Oh no, sorry. It doesn't say dangerous. It says Young, Willing and Eager. That's Arbor a very, very different in, word, Craig. <laughs> it was it was kind of folding up and it looked like danger. Um, Avril Lavigne is just standing there awkwardly. They are not communicating with each other. They look very awkward. They're on a red carpet. I don't believe they're free. Yeah, it looks like Feud. they were just shoved I together. I fucking knew it. Hold on, hold on. Twi- oh, update 2017. Bury the hatches. Kelly Osborne slams Yolanda Hadid, Avril Lavigne. Hey. Amid stars. Oh, she was slamming fellow Lyme disease sufferers. What? What? So she had Lyme disease. Obviously, I knew Avril Lavigne yeah, had Yeah, Avril Lavigne well. was apparently like very, very badly affected by it. Let's not get into this. Kelly Osborne was saying that people were treating it like a trendy disease, which is very strange. Anyway, Jesus. Kelly Osborne over the years has had her kind of issues and stuff and her struggles with sobriety. And I don't know, 2017, what that looked like for her at the time. Yeah, and, um, and she again, seems to be doing a lot better a, in recent as times. As a reminder, and, you know, Craig, love to her. Craig's top five is taking issue at the art, not the person behind the art, basically. 100%. And actually, I've always found her kind of charming in interviews. Like, how do you like survive that kind of family upbringing and be, you know, completely well-adjusted? But I think... She's absolutely fine. Uh, there was some kind of heartbreaking stuff uh, just as I was reading through uh, and kind of researching this. Um, she basically, she was touring quite a lot um, on her own and she kind of started hitting the bottle and substances and stuff. She kind of had a nervous breakdown and the career kind of hit the skids there. She's tried out different careers since and things, as I say, seem to be going pretty well for her now. But she also was recalling this time where she was on the Jonathan Ross show in 2005, promoting her second album, which didn't do well whatsoever. I always thought Jonathan Ross was a bit of a pillock, but this is unbelievable, right? So she says, he took a picture of me from my album cover and then another picture of me and goes, that's not you, you're fat. Look how much they airbrushed it. What? And she was like, I didn't know what to say. You know that feeling when your heart just goes boom in your chest? I wanted to crawl in a hole and die. It got really uncomfortable. So she was like, that was the moment she's just like, fuck this, I don't want this kind of career, um, which I don't blame her for. She also goes on to say the band that was performing was New Order 
and fair play to them here. They refused to play until he apologised to her. Excellent. Which is great. Go on the lads. And she says a lot of it wasn't actually shown on TV because they had to cut it out and all that kind of stuff. But she said, yeah, it destroyed me for like two years. For fuck's sake. So it's good that she's doing better now. She says herself like the music thing was a regret. Her heart wasn't in it. I think she's like, she's done like fashion police and stuff. She's yeah, a yeah, good yeah, presenter. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah. Best, best of luck to her. But this is <laughs> it, not it, it, it in terms so, of the music. It's so weird that like this is like, you're, like how bad do you feel? You're in the worst <laughs> bracket. Also, Seriously, fuck Jonathan Ross. I've always thought yeah, he, I've yeah, always thought he was a smug, char- uh, uh, like charismaless prick, and that's just fucking gross. That shit should have went yeah. out in the fucking forties. Like, I mean, that should never have been a thing. Uh, Absolutely horrible. Fuck him. And yeah, listen. I mean, like oh, I say, can I can I end on a bright spot? Actually, sure, Sorry, sure, yeah. I, please do. I realize this has been going on for ages. Sorry, <laughs> it's been the longest top she, five intro ever. She's got one song. Um, what's it called? One word, all right, one word, which was on the second album. And it's like this slice of like electro pop French house. It's just bizarre. It's like really fucking good. Okay. Like, I don't know how much she's doing on it. It was written by like Linda Perry. But I was like, whoa, this is actually really good. <laughs> so check out one word from like the album that no one heard. It's actually a bit of a kind of low-key banger. It sounds like Fade to Grey a bit, I think to the point of maybe plagiarism as well. Um, but it's fun and it's cool. So she did that at least. And let's move on to uh, we'll, better we'll, stuff. We'll move on because, uh, to be fair, I have I have the perfect, like okay. the ultimate palate cleanser. Like the, this couldn't have been scripted better, Craig. Like, I mean, this is unbelievable. So listen... You've had a you've had a stressful week, and I think you've had an existential crisis with this top five. And obviously, there is conflict involved, and like you know, you're on the side of the angels, but you're you're also trying to be a critic. And you know, it's something you know that always comes up, you know, on this show and in general. But luckily, I'm here to to save the day. <laughs> oh, thank God! And can I interest you, Craig, in a uh, incredibly prolific, I would say, and very well known entertainer, born in the seventies. Recording career began in the 90s, but by the turn of the century, this guy was one of the biggest names in music, and it's because of things like this. (laughs) I suspected, but I didn't want to believe. I didn't want to believe. Two words, rhythm divine. It is, of course, Enrique. Dave. (laughs) Enrique Iglesias. Uh, Now it's a party. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I had to do it, Craig. I had to do it. Craig's favorite song. <laughs> Such a great song. <laughs> what, what would I love how I just said that with no irony. <laughs> no, the irony's gone. Um, yeah, previously picked in my um, motivational songs, I believe it was. That might have been yeah. one of the first ones we ever did. It was definitely early on. It was, and it was, I was early days. Baffled. Yeah. I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. I believe you told a very emotional story about playing Super Mario Brothers 2, was it? Finishing Super Mario the fr- very first Super Mario <laughs> on a NES <laughs> emulator <laughs> that I got to relive my very early childhood. And it's a, oh, it's a tough mutter of a game. It really is, Dave. And I was doing it, I was trying to do it without a save because that wasn't on the original game. And um, I got into this flow state with Rhythm Divine playing on a loop <laughs> in the background. And I did it, baby. Thank you, Enrique. 
Thank you, Enrique. He is, thank you, Dave. You're welcome. He is the son of uh, Julio Iglesias, who is recognised as uh, the most commercially successful continental European singer in the world, it says here. Uh, however, his son, Enrique, has not done too bad for himself and has, in fact, been uh, <laughs> like bedecked with stuff like honorific titles like the King of Latin Pop, uh, the 14th most successful male dance club artist of all time. <laughs> well, that's, that's quite the come down from the king. <laughs> well, in October 2020, he was named the top Latin artist of all time at the 2020 Billboard Latin Music Awards. Um, you couldn't move for Enrique Iglesias in the early 2000s, could you? And I mean, I kind of feel like, I guess what I want to ask, and he's also someone who's delved into the acting world kind of briefly himself, um, is, like, like your, your rhythm divine obsession is, of course, well explained, but... Is Enrique Iglesias, does, does he get the respect that he deserves, Greg, do we think? Like, what do we think of the career? Um, I don't think he's quite ever been a punchline, but I think very much dismissed as fluff. Really probably big at a time when pop, optimism wasn't quite a thing. So I think now actually he might have a bit more critical regard if he was just emerging as a kind of pop star. And Lord knows, I think we need some interesting, decent male pop stars um, because there's very few Definitely, out there yeah. at the moment. Yeah. Um, was it when we were talking about Last Ketchup recently that I was like, I think like that brand of like Latin pop might be the greatest genre because it's just so bloody life affirming. And you had him, you had Ricky, Ricky doing his thing. Uh, yeah, those those songs bring a smile to my face. Um they're contagious. I, I can take them in very small doses, of course, and I've never really delved into albums. Let's, you know, I don't know if there's been any hugely grand artistic statements in terms of long players, and maybe there has been, but that's just my own ignorance. Um, but certainly, yeah, waves of nostalgia and joy whenever this kind of stuff crops up. So I've got a lot of time for him. That's surely the main thing, right? I mean, do you think he's slept on? He's had a huge career. I mean, he's the king. Of he's, he's the 14th most played he's the, male yeah, club dance man ever or something. Um, yeah, no, I don't think he's slept on. But I think in terms of critical regard, I think it's too easy to kind of just put him up there as some kind of, um, I don't know, like exotic throwaway or something. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. His origin story, if true, is interesting. Uh, he said he didn't want his dad to know about his plans for a musical career and didn't want his famous surname to help advance that career. So he apparently borrowed money from the family nanny. <laughs> I love how it's like... Oh, okay. Yeah. Now I'm losing. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like, I don't know how moral or how good that is. Presumably they had a close relationship and she was like, you know, go follow your dreams Yeah, or yeah, and she wasn't under pressure at all to... No, uh, yeah. to put food on the table. Um, he recorded a demo cassette tape. Um, according, uh, so he, apparently he approached his dad's former publicist. So if you don't want your dad to know... You really go into the well, former, former publicist. Maybe there was an acrimonious split there, and he was like, "I've yeah. got it. I've got the son now." Um, apparently, he started off under the name Enrique Martinez, with the backstory of being a singer from Guatemala. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, like, there's kind of like some good paperback novel stuff going on there, but it just sounds like yeah. maybe he kind of um, unnecessarily complicated it for himself. But the point is, it worked out, Craig. He's a superstar. And he's my number five. And his dad, like, I think, you know, in terms of certainly our generation, I mean, I, I couldn't name many Julio songs, if any. Like, Enrique's to be a star to me. Okay. Well, that, take that, you, Julio Iglesias. No, I can't. Can you reel off a... No, I'm an Enrique man all day. <laughs> all right, we're both, both Enrique men. Let's get back to the worst of the worst. <laughs> 
Um, with all due sympathy. And this is going to be specifically about this song, specifically about this genre. And this is going to be cathartic for me because I think you could stick this in the bad power ballads thing. And um, yeah, this is like, you know, talking about the VMAs, this is another example of like musical offspring being put in front of America before they were ready, just because of kind of who they were. Um, but it's also a duo that have remained quite committed, despite like some backlash and things not going brilliantly for them and maybe being on the wrong side of musical history. So fair play to them, but this is terrible. That is the most 90s TV pilot intro visual audio thing ever. Yes, 100%. It's Nelson. Um, it's brackets, can't live without you, or close brackets, love and affection. <laughs> and this is <laughs> the two lads, Matthew and Gunnar. Um, they're twin sons of Ricky Nelson, who um, you might know, Dave, from like being a big star in the late 50s. Do you know what you will know him from, actually? You'll know the song Lonesome Town, which was in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, great yeah, song. kind of hits. Yeah, really good, good song. I always thought that was a Roy Int- Orbison song, Sean Megarance now. Yeah, it's Ricky Nelson. He was also um, a musical offspring himself. So he was the son of this Willie couple Nelson, that were... He's 200 years of age. He's a vampire. <laughs> well believe it. No, I think it was like Harriet and something else, Nelson. And they were like big in like the late 30s. And they had a like a radio show where they had a kind of family sitcom and he was on it. And he was then it was like primed to be this matinee idol type singer. Um, so he had a few hits. But anyway, these are his beloved boys. He actually passed away in, um, Ricky Nelson did, in a plane crash in mid-80s. And that's when these guys kind of hit big. So Lauren Michaels from SNL happens to be mates um, of Ricky Nelson or some like musical agents associated with him or something like that. And Lauren Michaels were like, all right, it's time to get the lads <laughs> who were unsigned and like barely knew what they were doing. Time to get them on the show. They performed as, I think... The first, definitely, and I'm guessing the last, completely unsigned act on a Saturday Night, Night Live. Um, but, like, they've been getting ready for this moment, day for a long time. So they started um, as a band called Strange Agents when they were, like, 12 years old. And they had, like, agents of their own when they were still in their teens. They started playing, like, the LA club circuit. Um, the episode of the SNL they were on was hosted by Ronald Reagan Jr., which is like, <laughs> it's morning in America, baby. But at the time, right, so Matthew was the bassist and Gunner was on drums and they weren't this hair metal kind of power ballady band whatsoever, right? So they were flying home from this SNL performance and Gunner maintains that he had a vision that said he should learn to play guitar get out from behind the drum kit and stand alongside his brother up front. And Matthew thought he was crazy, but he went along with it. Uh, and then they, they they had the idea of like hitching their wagon to the growing hair metal scene. 
And like combining this kind of country rock vocalizing with this, you know, what they call the majesty and power of the guitar work of bands like Scorpions and um, Boston and stuff like that. And you can hear it there. They linked in with this guy, um, Mark Tanner, who was like a former like soft rocker who started kind of writing songs with them. They linked in with a Geffen A&R guy who was like so old school, like every parody you've ever seen of the music industry guy whatsoever, John um, Kalodner. And basically they kept going to this guy's offices with demos. They would go visit him like once a month with stuff they'd written with this soft rocker guy. And, you know, he'd kind of sift through it, right? So eventually they come in and play him love and affection, right? And Gunnar tells the story. He goes, when it was done, it was silence for like 30 seconds. Then he reached over and called business affairs and said... Send the check for the Nelsons. <laughs> They're ready. <laughs> then he got off the phone and he goes, I've been waiting for you guys to do something like that, for you to not listen to anybody. Because when you guys release this, everybody in the world is going to want to tear you down. <laughs> he was already like, this is cheesy crap. And I felt if you didn't have the balls to come in here and stand up to me, you certainly weren't going to have the balls to stand up to anyone this else. This is incredible. So needless to say, this was their debut single. It went to number one. Of course they did. sold millions and millions and millions of albums. <laughs> this, by the way, is inspired by a magazine photo of Cindy Crawford, which okay. is like so late 80s and like, um, yeah, you know, pilot TV show soundtracks. This could have been played over like Baywatch kind of running on the beach montages it's for so sure. It's so Baywatch. Like. It's so Baywatch. It's so bad and kind of tacky. And they talk themselves about like they... <laughs> They crossed over into the hair metal um, world and Gunner <laughs> continues, we went from an audience full of chicks that just came to see us and loved us unconditionally to Cinderella's audience, Cinderella apparently being a, a kind of heavy band, who were mostly dudes that wanted to fucking kill us. <laughs> um, speaking of Dave Grohl earlier, Dave Grohl had a dig at them in Spin magazine. Doesn't he sound like Nelson, Dave Grohl, not the nice yeah, man said, that we all know and love. Nelson have a room they go into, because obviously they were signed to Geffen, before each show where they turn off the lights and meditate with incense burning. First of all, that's not very enlightened. That sounds awesome. That makes me <laughs> like Nelson. But then Kurt Cobain followed up with, so we're going to have the Nelson room where we burn effigies of them before we go on stage. Fuck. And they kind of did that to their career because then, of course, Nirvana like blew up and Nelson and all this kind of music was like a laughing stock overnight by like 1993. They were a bit of a joke. Their follow-up record was going to be a prog concept record about how the music industry had done them dirty <laughs> and like <laughs> with the shifting tides and it was them kicking against um, their label. It doesn't seem like it was great. It went nowhere. They keep kind of playing together and they've stuck with it. They seem to genuinely love the music and they do kind of tributes to their dad as well. You can probably catch them gigging around regional towns in the US. Um, but I will say, obviously, we've no visuals. Check out Nelson if you haven't seen them before because they have like this extraordinary long, like blonde hair. They look like... It's basically like, you know, you know, the arms muscle men in videos and stuff. It's <laughs> yeah. two of those guys fronting the band, twin brothers. It looks sensational and all of the music is terrible and I love them. <laughs> Amazing. What a, yeah. what a contrast to your extreme shout last week, you know? There's a... Well, do you know what? I was actually thinking, I mean, this is knocking on the door of more than words and I'm <laughs> fully aware of that, but this is the dark side of that. <laughs> what a door. I never want to answer that door. I never want to approach that door. 
fuck me. Okay, so for my number four, back on the best offspring uh, pile, I suppose you could say. Um, if you're picking the kind of provocative, um, you know, outspoken, fearless artist that came from a country music superstar, well, it could only be not the guy from Metro Station. Sometimes I feel like I'm drowning and you're there to save me And I want to thank you with all of my heart It's a brand new start A dream come true In my the closing strains of a song called Malibu by Miley Cyrus, a song that I think is actually quite lovely. Um, very good power yeah. pop and kind of, you know, gets her kind of countryfied style in there as well. We've talked about Miley Cyrus quite a lot on this show, of course. She is the daughter of Billy Ray Cyrus of Achy Breaky Heart fame. I'm sure he has other songs, but that's the one that I know. Um, and I was referring to her brother, I think it's called Trace, possibly, from Metro Station with that terrible song, Shake It. That was a real yeah. late 2000s MySpace bullshit pop thing. Um, Miley Cyrus, I mean, a very interesting artist, I think. Um, much like with the Enrique Iglesias conversation, I think the question can continue to be asked, does Miley Cyrus get the respect she deserves? Has she been pilloried unfairly over the years? Is there a wildly misogynistic and sexist agenda that follows her around? Is she, you know, because she dared to fucking quote-unquote flaunt her sexuality in the mid-10s, yeah. uh, much like Madonna did in the 80s? And, like, you know, it's weird because, like, for... <clears throat> I think depending on the month of the year, Craig, Miley Cyrus is either a fucking pariah She's on top of the charts. She's off shooting a movie. She's maybe just not in the conversation whatsoever. But she has, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I mean, like, there was definitely like a level of, you know, okay, right, we get it. You're edgy. Like, you're sticking your tongue out in every fucking frame of the Wrecking Ball video and can't be tamed. And uh, what we can't stop, is that the other one? You know, and there was definitely like a, a PR or, or an image-based kind of thing where it was like, yeah, cool. No, we get it. We get it. You know, you, like, you know, like you've got an attitude and you're sexy. That's great. Uh, and I can understand why that would rub people the wrong way. But I do feel like she was crucified, right? And like very unfairly yeah, at points. I think she just kind of crossed over. Um, obviously had huge teenage fame. Was it the Disney Channel? Hannah Montana, on? Hannah Montana yeah. and all yeah, that, that kind of stuff. That was huge. Yeah was she was a gigantic star um another another show for like i'd say arguably i mean i mean no she's definitely bigger than billy ray oh I know hugely. He, he was on the remix of <laughs> old town road <laughs> old town road I, I, but not to cut you off but like i was going to get to that like that is like a theme that's across some of my top five it's where cool. like the you know the offspring eclipses the sire and this is definitely one of those examples yeah. She wasn't in Mulholland Drive, though, so Mark's there for Billy Ray. Fair play. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it was in one scene, um, but it's great. Now, I think she's, yeah, I think she, um, if she had it crossed over to that kind of fully-fledged Miley Cyrus music career, a few years later, I think people would have been more sympathetic just because, again, of the shift in attitudes, hopefully towards women, but just kind of pop stars and artists and people that are in the spotlight. Um, just that kind of change. I think there was still a bit of that caustic, spiky thing about her and misogyny for sure. And often the thing with her was you'd see these comments of like, she'd do like an acoustic kind of country song and people be like, oh, she could be, you know, she could be Taylor Swift or she's got one or she could be Dolly Parton. She's got that voice. If she just left the kind of the pop alone or blah, blah, blah. And I actually kind of, I know her last album was kind of more rocky and she, I think that that kind of sound might suit her. 
We talked about her dead pets record as well, which is this weird kind of concepty record she did with Wayne Coyne, which I it made one of my top fives. Might have been like underrated or hidden gems or something. Well, that's one of those like ones that. that I think people yeah. lined up to just absolutely fucking hack apart before they'd even heard a note of it. Now I'm not. I'm, I'm, great I'm not saying it is I good really or bad, like but like I think it, it was too experimental for some. But like it was definitely seen there as like fuck you, you know how dare you? And it was like well, let her do what she wants, man. Like you know if you want to make an album with Wayne Coyne, it doesn't interest me but like <laughs> it interested me like, like people should go and listen to that it's really good so this is a great choice well yeah. the thing is I mean like you know like, like you mentioned Dolly Parton like Dolly Parton's got a good quote kind of about the whole you know 2013 2014 controversy run where Dolly Parton who's her godmother apparently uh, said oh, okay. uh, the girl can write the girl can sing the girl is smart and she doesn't have to be so drastic but I will respect her choices I did it my way so why can't she do it her way which is very much you know it's kind of like <sighs> She, she certainly like like I say she certainly courts controversy but like she maybe she'd be a more boring artist without it I mean like I think she could do the country album tomorrow in her fucking sleep and it could be really really good yeah uh, I like a lot of the pop elements of the last record that we talked about Midnight Sky in particular is just an incredible banger like it holds up really really well um and yeah it's just like it, it, it's it's a weird one like it's weird how she in particular has be- became like a lightning rod and I'm not saying everything she does is perfect and to be fair like you know to kind of be even-handed here uh, I think she has been accused and, and there's very valid arguments against her kind of invocation of hip hop along the way. And I think she kind of maybe took, you know, maybe was guilty of kind of cultural appropriation here and there and perhaps didn't pay enough respect to uh, other cultures as she could have. I think she herself has kind of acknowledged this over time. Look, we're all young ones, Craig. That's what I say. Yeah, we all dabbled in some cultural appropriation. Is that what you're saying, Dave? Uh, well, uh, you'll, you'll never catch me wearing a fucking Native American headdress at a festival because I'm not a prick. Yeah, that's that's a safe bet. Um, moving on to my number three. And again, nothing against these. This is very much, I just load this song. Um, and I will say, actually, I'll make this one shorter because I think some of the story is the same as Nelson where... It's kind of the same era. And actually, they're doing a completely different thing to Nelson. They're kind of kicking against the um, the the overworked aesthetic of the late 80s. They were they seemed quite grounded, really, because, they you know, even though they came from this, you know, huge um, Californian musical heritage and they were it's it's very um, relatable, I guess. It's very norm core. It's the polar opposite of Nelson. So you can't win with me, Dave, but this song is insufferable. Wilson Phillips with that song title that I maintain should never be used again. Um, People can maybe do interesting stuff with it, but generally it will mean that it will have lyrics kind of like this. Hold on. That's what this is, right? Hold on. (laughs) Yeah, 100% it's hold on. I forgot that this was one of your specific bugbears. It is. It is. I just think it's, you know, there's exceptions to the rule, but as a rule, you will get a kind of saccharine, um, empowering anthem if you get a song called Hold On, and it will be quite po-faced, and it will not have much in the way of inventiveness. Hey, and even, I think this is, even Limp Bizkit did it. 
<laughs> they did, yeah. Yeah, they did. And it is Bowface. One of their yeah, more sensitive moments. Um, so Wilson Phillips, I was um, blissfully ignorant of these lot being musical offspring, actually. I knew nothing about them. Do you know their backstory? No, please inform. Okay, so Kearney and Wendy Wilson are the daughters of Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys. <laughs> it's like, what? And China Phillips is the daughter of John and Michelle Phillips of the Mamas and the Papas. Oh my God. It's a combination of the offspring of the Beach Boys and the Mamas and the Papas. And this is what we got. This is what we got, which is just like, actually it kind of makes sense because it's like the watered down kind of dregs of, you know, the worst aspects of the Beach Boys and the Mamas and the Papas, which is, you know... Californian optimism, um, pure kind of pop, very mainstream, very kind of family friendly. And this trio, in fairness, were like genuine friends from an early age. Uh, the parents were kind of friends. They had their struggles, in, as you would do in kind of L.A. when you're like rich and famous and... Um, you're just trying to have a normal upbringing. So like they were in high school um, dealing with, you know, drug addictions and all that kind of stuff. Um, some of them were anyway. Um, and actually the, the lyrics to this reference a kind of AA mantra, apparently. There is actually some heft behind this song, which is makes me feel, again, a bit bad. Um, Thanks, Craig. Thanks think, for walking me down a blind alley into a fucking sobriety yeah, song. Yeah, China Phillips. China Phillips was um, struggling, I believe. She said she was at a real crossroads in her life, dealing with drug and alcohol addiction throughout high school. And she's going through um, a messy breakup as well. I think she was just out of her teens. And... Um, I thought to myself, well, AA tells me, just hold on, just one day at a time. And she goes on to say herself, it sounds like such a cliche, um, but actually just inspired me to write this song. And <laughs> she played it at the time for um, her friends and a boyfriend um, who was quite judgmental and said, that's not going to go anywhere. That's not a very good song. It's really corny. And she just remembers thinking, I, I, God, I hope he's wrong. He was totally wrong and kind of not a very nice thing to say to your girlfriend. It went gigantic. It was like a number one hit. And they had a bunch of hits, but like this I think is like the best of them. Um, and I pick it because it annoys me immensely. Um, <laughs> I, I'm glad they kind of found each other in terms of a shared experience and they had um, a degree of success. And I'm glad that actually a lot of people... Um, kind of relate to this song or like have a certain level of nostalgia for the song. I think it's been co-opted by like, it was in Bridesmaids and stuff. Like it's been, it's had a few moments where as with every pop song that's ever released, it's going to have to have a kind of, you know, re-evaluation and actually people going, no, it's actually really good. And I realise we're just after talking about like how amazing Rhythm Divine is and all that kind of stuff. So that's fair game. Um, but not every song was good and this <laughs> song isn't good. It's just such nothingness. And I think even though the lyrics come from a real place, it says everything about those harmonies, how safe it is, the awful, awful dated production on it and just how workshopped it is to the point of making sure it's a number one hit, that it doesn't betray any of the actual real lyrical content there and it's just milk toast beyond belief 
not good at all. So this song, yeah, can get in the sea as well, but best of luck to them. <laughs> Nicely said. Good sentiment, Craig. Um, complicated mess, I think you found yourself in this week, but you're doing okay. I think you're doing all right. Um, Title of my autobiography, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so it's, oh God, almost 20 years ago now at this stage. Uh, more like 18, but like, um, it's 2003, late 2003. Uh, I'm in a cinema in, in Drogheda. And I'm watching uh, the start of a film that I've been waiting to see for a very long time. I'm very excited. And the opening credits kick in, and I'm quite mesmerized by the preamble. And I'm further mesmerized when this starts playing. Until this day, sometimes I cry. He didn't even say goodbye. He didn't take the time to lie. Bang, bang. He shot me down, bang, bang, I hit the ground, bang, bang, that awful sound, bang, bang, my baby shot me down. Yes, it is Nancy Sinatra, uh, that is, of course, from the opening of Kill Bill, Volume 1. Uh, suits it perfectly. But of course, Nancy Sinatra's career was well well underway by then. Uh, she started in the late 50s, of course. Uh, she is the daughter of Frank Sinatra. Um, Old Blue Eyes. But here's the thing. I mean, like, to me, you know, how do you possibly step out of that shadow? But she did, right? I think Nancy Sinatra is a singular artist and yep. is regarded that way. Like, it's, it's, I mean, the name, you know straight away her lineage, but like, she's her own person and like as it should be with everybody but you know as we say i think part of this is to examine the fact that like whether it's music or like sport for example like you know you are tied to a death like to to a dynasty if there is a dynasty there and like frank sinatra does it get much bigger than him you know i mean like to 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 be able to be your own person uh have your own agency i mean like i don't know what the fucking the world of the industry was back then. I'm sure there was all kinds of awkward things happening in the world. And, you know, like, who knows how free an artist can be. But, like, she's an established, iconic voice. And I think she's held up there. I mean, like, you see it in the you know the early, and I guess continual, Lana Del Rey thing. The gangster Nancy Sinatra, that fucking nickname, you know? Yeah, uh, she's she still, created her own thing. Yeah, yeah she's, she's an archetype. She's, she is. She's an archetype. She's totemic and she's brilliant. I mean, I won't sit here and, and lie to you and say that I have lots of Nancy Sinatra vinyl over in the corner and I throw her on regularly, but anytime I do find myself in her orbit, uh, I, I'm like captivated because she's fantastic. And I mean, the relationship between her and her father is quite interesting. I, I read an interview from 2015 um, and it was Nancy Sinatra and I think her sister Tina as well. They were doing like a joint interview ahead of some kind of Frank Sinatra anniversary thingamajig. And they were asked, um, it was an arts desk was the publication, they were asked about their first memories of your father as a singer. And Nancy Sinatra said that my first memories would be of the radio and later on the records he would bring home from sessions. I was maybe four or five, maybe six. The radio was from when I was a baby. It's pretty much all I knew of him was just the radio. I don't, I don't think I realised until I was about 14 when someone at school said, do you think your dad would come and sing for us? And I said, sure, I'll ask him. I asked him and he did. And of course the kids went crazy. I realised it then. They just loved him. And this is before he became that Rat Pack icon. So I guess to like grow up in the shadow of this like Herculean mu- music figure, 
and be able to kind of step in and do your own thing is kind of in and of itself an incredible achievement. But to do it as well as she did, and as Craig says there, become this kind of archetype that has filtered down through generations of of, of, of artists, uh, probably both male and female, but obviously she's a female icon. Um, I think she stands alone, which is almost impossible, but she did it. For sure. When you hear the name Nancy Sinatra, your mind doesn't wander because of the Sinatra thing. You just think of Nancy Sinatra and you might think of the hits, the kind of archetype, the Bond song, one of the very best, You Only Live Twice. Which she said, by the way, that she was deathly afraid of doing. Apparently she said to the producers, apparently she said to the producers, she said, are you sure you don't want Shirley Bassey instead? (laughs) They did want Shirley Bassey quite a lot. But um, (laughs) on that occasion, they were right to go Nancy Sinatra. Um, yeah, no, she definitely fared better than Frank Sinatra Jr., who just looked exactly like his dad and did kind of show band tunes and I think didn't have huge success. Um, but that's got to be a tough one. Yeah, she de- definitely what carved out her own thing. What do you think of the duet of Something Stupid between Nancy and Frank Sinatra? Because some people said that it was incestuous. It's, I mean, it's not lemon incest, Serge Gainsbourg and Charlotte. It's not quite that bad. There's something a bit cringe about it cringe is probably the word it's I don't know it came up actually in that interview that I mentioned there's a part, part where they're talking about it and Tina like turns to Nancy and she goes it is an odd song for a father and daughter to sing to each other it's weird and Nancy yeah. Snatcher goes you think so and Tina goes I do and then Nancy Snatcher mm. says she goes I don't know people joked about it and called it the incest song which I thought was pretty silly but I can see the point Tina Snatcher then I guess doubles back a bit and she goes I think it's adorable but there's a nice little act out here from Nancy Snatcher where she said dad bet Mo Austin that it would be number one and he said no it's going to be a bomb and I have the two dollars framed that Mo sent to pay up. Nice old school oh, music awesome. story. Yeah, um, I guess when I go to listen to that song, I probably stick on the version um, of Robbie, Robbie Williams and Nicole Kidman. Well, of course. I mean, so talk yeah, about you know, at least we have that finding the song. Yeah. <laughs> also, sorry, I will say real quick. You mentioned her in passing. Uh, didn't pick Charlotte Gainsbourg for this list because uh, I, I had her recently. Um, I forget what it was, but she is magnificent. I also Miley Cyrus. Yeah, my, it was kind of it was kind of between Miley Cyrus and Willow Smith as well at one stage, and I was like, I think I just really love Whip My Hair, and I don't know enough of Willow Smith's music but I really like her as a person that song as well. it's amazing <laughs> and I really like her as a person and even when I saw her interviewed in the Kid Cudi documentary recently she came across as like one of the more interesting figures in there I need to investigate her music more and she seems to be an incredible personality but you make the tough calls in the top five Craig speaking of what do you got next alright one question will our number two rocket man <laughs> we know he will no <laughs> <laughs> uh, Moving down to Mexico, I wanna feel free to shoot me. Think about Mexico, women shoot you right. Think about Mexico, there's no one wants to fight. Think about Mexico. <laughs> yeah, we all love Mexico where the women treat you right. It's James McCartney. <laughs> I can't believe he's not your number one. Uh, do you know what? I like him. He's low key. He's, and the thing seems to be with Son of James who, McCartney Craig? from. <laughs> George Harrison, um, yeah, uh, good old Macca, Paul McCartney, who, if people don't know the reference uh, in the lead in there, Paul McCartney has appeared on television in a recorded message before James took to the stage 
wishing his son well in a lovely but also awful, awful way. I think it was on <laughs> that no Lorraine. I think it was on the aforementioned Lorraine show. Oh, it was Lorraine, yeah. yeah. Oh my God. And it's like, Jamesy, rocket man. Yeah, and he does. He kind of blow does a real awkward kind of blows a kiss, and he's like doing a strumming thing, and it's it's full McCarthy. But the way that they build like, it up, though, she's like, dad. she's like, we've got a surprise message for you, yeah. and he's stone faced throughout because he's no charisma <laughs> and also hates it. <laughs> yeah, completely stone faced and just like oh, God love him. How could you then perform with that in your head? Did you and the thing review one of his uh, albums for Hot Press? No, I was due to interview him oh. in Whelan's. He was playing Whelan's and he like cancelled um, a couple of hours beforehand. Rockstar. He doesn't seem like someone that enjoys doing interviews in general. <laughs> He's just a quiet guy in fairness. Like I, he got into music pretty late. So he, in the late kind of 90s, he appeared on uh, Paul McCartney kind of solo records, just like he actually co-wrote a few songs. He played guitar and like drums on, on Flaming Pie. And um, then he kind of stepped away from from music for a bit. Like in 2004, he like left home and he was like living in a flat in Brighton and he was like waiting tables when he went to college and just like working quietly on his music. Like he's a pretty unassuming guy. Um, It wasn't until like the 2010s when he started releasing stuff when he was like late 30s, getting into his 40s. I believe he's, he's kind of 44 now. And listen, he can play. He can play guitar well. He can play mandolin. He can play piano. He's like a fine musician. And listening to his stuff this week, some of the songs are absolutely fine. And you'd hear, you know, people play them in a pub or something. You'd be like, "There, they've got a bit of talent." Um, I'm not going to buy the album, but they're doing fine. But the problem is, as you heard from a song like that, he he lacks charisma lyrically. He's a bit all over the shop. I don't know what, he was talking about the inspiration for his song actually in one interview I read and um, he says that he saw the movie On the Road, Um, it's a very hedonistic work, he liked the idea of being free and going down to Mexico and having a hedonistic time. Then he goes, I was conceived in Mexico. (laughs) 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 And he goes, this is the thing with his interviews. They always lead back to the Beatles. Because of course they do. Sorry, have you ever seen the NME one backstage at a festival where it's like the 60 second interview and it's like, who would you have at your dinner party? And he's like, the Beatles. I was like, who are the best band in the world? It's Beatles, isn't it? I took some notes from the thing. I watched it this week. (laughs) It's amazing. Right. So, yeah. His favorite album is "Let It Be," right? Um, oh, yeah, I'll go through. I'll go through. Some right, of go on, yeah, go on. Uh, if he was cooking a meal for someone, what would it be? And he just says vegetables. Um, who'd star as him in the movie of his life? He says DiCaprio and kind of chuckles to himself, which is like, okay, good joke. Um, yeah, albums he'd take with him to a desert island. Never mind. Let it be an Abbey Road. <laughs> <laughs> if you could reform any band. The Beatles. <laughs> His advice to young musicians, write lots of songs. If you had a house party, who would play it? And he just goes, yeah, the Beatles. <laughs> Getting annoyed at this one. Um, what is your non-musical skill? Arsh. And he's prompted. Someone off screen goes, Arsh. And he goes, yeah, Arsh. <laughs> Describe your music in one word. Just rock and roll. Oh, that's incredible. <laughs> so he believes rock and roll is still on. Just rock and roll. Fucking <laughs> If he could raid another artist's wardrobe <laughs> and he says, the Beatles, man, they're the best. <laughs> that's how it ends. <laughs> <laughs> but 
this is the thing. He can't get away from those songs and he's got no imagination, you know? So even if he's, he can play an oh. instrument, they all sound like... It's like Oasis always wanted to be the Beatles, right? So he just kind of does sub-Oasis songs. Like, it's just that lineage of, like, I've got no other ideas than do, like, a ballad that's a bit like the Beatles or a rock one that's a bit like, you know, something my dad did. And, yeah, well, like, that Mexico anecdote, he says he went, he once went down to Mexico City with his dad and the family on tour, and we were in a jet circling. And I remember looking down and looking at all the Beatles cars, which is kind of ironic. Like, this is, like, clearly having a huge impact on his life. And he's just framed in that context, which is actually very sad, right? Because I'm sure he's had a very privileged life. See, I, mean, I, see, I guess he's, get, see, this is, he's doing what he loves. This is the, this is the awkward yeah. weeds if we want to stroll into them for is. just a second. I yeah. mean, like, ultimately, yeah. they're, they're, no human being should ever be denied the right to be creative or follow their dream or pursue their passions. In fact, it should be encouraged from an early age yes, where possible. However... Yep. <laughs> is this not a bit too fucking like easy <laughs> like just like uh, and you're like he's just rocking up on letterman he's just handed you know a career like you know <laughs> yeah, from yeah. one of the biggest musicians to ever exist you know what i mean yeah i'm not saying yeah, i'm not saying 100%. i'm not saying like go work in construction or create a video game or something or like you know do something wildly different but there has to be a level here of like, well, this is just, I mean, like, because it's funny because like, you know, it's too early to even consider, say, like Elijah Houston of Inhaler for this list because Inhaler have only put out one record so far. Yeah. I've seen them live a couple of times. I do think that they have something, but clearly he will have doors open for him that will never open for other people. At the same time, though, why should he not be allowed to do it? But you can totally understand why there would be people probably even just listening to this podcast right now. I have to assume musicians listen to this show and maybe they're like, fuck James McCartney, fuck Eli Hewson. I don't know. I mean, is that a fair point? But then you've got like, if I guess at a certain point you can have all the privilege and have the kind of great lifestyle, but in terms of how you're viewed, you're either viewed as James McCartney or you get all those opportunities as Nancy Sinatra and you become Nancy Sinatra Fair because enough, yeah. it warrants that so yeah I guess that's that's well, what comparing James yeah. McCartney to Nancy Sinatra <laughs> <laughs> that's just not fair <laughs> oh my god alright let's let's Look, go to, to be fair two. as soon as so I got this list I was like well James McCartney's on the list <laughs> we love talking about him and I'm glad he's around and Godspeed to him and Paul McCartney seems lovely and he seems kind of down to earth like I like that he just gives I like that he's not some like pretentious dude that's running about thinking he's the absolute shit he's just a guy that likes the Beatles and his dad's a Beatle so okay. fair enough well speaking of pretentious dudes running around being cool here's my number two I mean, it's just the best stroke song. Oh, it didn't kick back in. <laughs> no, I chose the ending of it for sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's the strokes. It's hard to explain. So and we are highlighting Albert Hammond Jr. Uh, can I just shock you? He's the son of Albert Hammond, uh, who is sure a is. renowned musician, a, a British Gibraltar singer, I believe, singer-songwriter, prolific, and uh, known for many a hit. But of course, much like a previous conversation like on this list, like, you know, generationally, I wouldn't have heard of Albert Hammond if it wasn't for his son and the band that he was in. And also, we can pick up a conversation that we've just had here, because something that has often been leveled at the Strokes is these were well-connected, rich 
privileged boys from New York's Upper East Side who never had to work a day in their lives, Craig. Um, I guess you could look at like some of Hammond Jr.'s background here. Uh, he, At the age of 12, he was sent to boarding school in Switzerland, where he, Switzerland, where he yeah, became amazing. friends with Julian Casablancas. And it's like... They're at like a Swiss boarding school when they were about 14 and Julian Casablancas was getting trashed in the morning to just make it through the classes. Like, fucking, fucking hell. hell. Just goes to show the two sides of it. Like Later in New York, he went to the uh, Tisch School of the Arts, but left after a year and a half. Much like Craig's brief sojourn at Trinity College there, I have to imagine. Uh, <laughs> uh, reconnected with Casablanca in the late 90s, uh, who invited him to join the Strokes. He's the rhythm guitarist for the Strokes, I believe. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like I, like, I was trying to be like can I credit him with that riff? Like, hard to explain to me is, is the quintessential Strokes song. I think it's a masterpiece of a thing, a perfect song. We do talk about the Strokes too much on the show, so we'll probably keep this one brief. But on the subject of privilege, on the subject of Albert Hammond Jr., what do you got to say, Craig? Because I think you are, the Strokes correspond with the program, of course. Yeah, I adore the Strokes. They definitely had a leg up, I guess. They, you know, they kind of did it the right way. And I don't necessarily mean morally or in terms of like the universe being fair or karma, but in terms of if you are kind of connected and you have a level of privilege, um, strike out on your own, do something completely different, but also kind of use some of those open doors in a canny way whilst also being true to your art. And like they never seemed like they were piggybacking on someone else's fame. It was, yeah, I'm sure they're they're definitely nepotism babies. <laughs> But my God, songs were great. I mean, I don't think you can argue with their impact. Well, they themselves album, gave birth EP. to, you know, a whole fucking, not a genre, so much, but yeah. like certainly a wave. And Albert Hammond, I mean, you're, you're right. He is, I guess he's kind of rhythm guitarist. He's, he's mainly, he's usually the guy that does the like ding, 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 more simplistic stuff, which is kind of maybe the classic stroke yeah, sound. Definitely. I do, I do often think he has. He looks shit cool doing as it As a player, too. he's. He looks cool. He's got kind of an easy gig, <laughs> in fairness. He's not doing like the fucking solos of uh, Nick Valencia, but it does It does seem like he was the galvanizing force. Whenever you read about them, like he was the guy that like was like, you should all be wearing suits. You should all be wearing skinny jeans. You should dress like this. You should listen to this television record. He like make sure they turned up to band practice every day. He was the guy that's like, Julian, you're a genius. Write a song, write another song. He was the guy making it happen. He just had this kind of... Go get him, kind of entrepreneurial. He, do you know, he actually reminds me of um, Johnny Marr. You always hear these stories of like Johnny Marr being like 16, running around Manchester, just like begging people to be in bands with him, writing songs, you know, writing riffs every day of the week, saving Morrissey from his bedroom, which I, I, we're thankful for still, maybe. I don't you can't blame him for everything, but he didn't know what was going to happen. But um, just a kind of this real force, um, this real energetic creative person that was making stuff happen so you don't have the strokes without albert hammond and i guess that means you don't have the strokes without albert hammond jr and it never rains in southern california and all that kind of stuff yeah call it fake call it karma that's my number two lovely very well done did you have that plan nope i did not you used the word karma so i just picked up on it craig and now we've ruined Excellent. the thing. We're no longer cool because we've just unthreaded the thing. So I unthreaded it, so I'm no longer cool. And um, speaking of not cool, <laughs> my number one, apologies to everyone on this list thus far. Great bunch of lads and ladies all muddling along um, and, you know, talented in their own ways and blah, blah, blah. Except for this guy. Screw this guy. He's a little bit country. He's a little bit rock and roll. He's a little bit... Republican, he's a little bit racist, there he is. If the South would have won, we'd have had it made. 
I'd probably run for president of the southern state. The day Elvis passed away would be our national holiday. If the South would have won, we'd have had it made. I'd make my Supreme Court down in Texas. And we wouldn't have no killers getting off free. If they were proven guilty, then they would swing quickly instead of writing... Jesus Christ, Craig. <laughs> yeah, that's Hank Williams Jr. <laughs> if the South would have won, he's a real um, outlaw spirit. He's a maverick. Good old boy. He was a major, yeah, good old boy. A major, major country star in the 70s and 80s. He is the son of Hank Williams, of course. And Hank Williams was, I guess, the guy that like invented what became country music in a lot of ways. Like he was prolific. I think he was on recording for something like eight years. He died at the age of 29, um, had a lot of kind of problems with, again, drug kind of substance abuse and stuff like that. And his like liver gave out when he was 29. But he, he was so prolific. He'd had something like 55 country hits. He set the template of like what a country star wrote about. Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. How, but like, it's just, just like you said, it, like 55 country hits sounds like something that you'd buy on fucking <laughs> 55 five at two in the morning. Do you remember, yeah, those ads <laughs> where it's like the CD box ad and get this bonus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally is. Oh, wow. Um, and yeah, so he's like one of, probably the most influential country star of all time. Um, even more so than like a Johnny Cash. He just is the dude, right? And he had a son who was Hank Williams Jr. And Hank Williams Jr., in fairness, had a privileged but rough enough start as well, right? So he was kind of funneled into being, I guess, like very much the junior of the family like by I think the age of 12 he was performing his dad's songs and releasing albums and performing at like the Grand Ole Opry just like doing his dad's songs like there would be these albums where he's like a kid right and he's appearing on the cover with like a picture of his dad and it's like Junior sings the hits it's like this absolute weirdness right so of course like he gets into his 20s he wants to be his own man and he's kind of trying to make it and he has some apparently kind of respectable, decent enough songs and albums. And But he kind of sounds a bit like everyone else. It's it's not really going great for him. Um, mid-70s, he falls off a cliff. <laughs> uh, like some snow goes from beneath his feet while he's out in like Montana or something. He falls 500 feet. Jesus Christ. He just like fucking, cracks his head just open. Just fucking rambles off a cliff. Yeah, cracks his head open, somehow survives, has to have like reconstructive surgery, learns how to like talk again and sing again. And this kind of changes something in, in him and he becomes like this outlaw, like um, good old boy, I'm a rebel, I'm going to like introduce a bit of rock to my music. He starts wearing like this big like cowboy hat and the shades, I guess initially to cover up like his injuries. He's he's kind of Did fine you now. He fell five hundred feet, five hundred feet, and landed on his face onto rocks. Apparently, like, <laughs> I don't what? know. <laughs> it's so the bizarre. Fucking T one thousand. It's so bizarre to the point of like. I was reading some stuff and I'm like, did this really happen the way he tells it it happened? Because he looks grand now. It kind of sounds like a weird origin story. I can't. I know. Like, I know. It's absolutely mad. It makes no sense. <laughs> 500. So anyway, he like he starts having all these hits in the 80s with songs like um, Born to Boogie and Old Habits and Whiskey Bent and Hellbound. And what he does, Dave, is he invents bro country. Oh, excellent. <laughs> so he is the man responsible. 
And there's a really good New Yorker article by um, David Cantwell who's like, um, actually Hank Williams kind of started country music, but really Hank Williams Jr. is the major influence on today's like bro country. Like, I'm like in girls in their short denim skirts and like, oh, you know, please see our, doing pictures please with see my boys. Our top five like, country songs from last year, I think. Yeah, I mean, shockers all on there. Colm O'Regan absolutely <laughs> adores probably. <laughs> the, the, the less misogynistic stuff, of course, but he, he loves the kind of hilarity of some of those um, more poppy songs. But yeah, he is just that guy. And then, like, if that wasn't bad enough, because of course, just getting back to the music, I mean, it all sounds hackneyed and awful, and it's all proto, like, kid rock going country. And then he goes full kid rock at a certain point, and he's like arch kind of Republican. And by about 2011, he's comparing Obama to Hitler. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> on Fox and Friends, um, which <laughs> ends up I mean, don't get me wrong, him- the drone strikes is very bad, but like, let's not, you know. He ends up getting banned, or no, his song gets banned from Monday Night Football. Like, what he, he had written the team tune to, like, <laughs> this flagship show on ESPN, where his, like, good old boy song of, like, crack a beer and watch Monday Night Football, like, that song is taken down. I think it's been reinstated since, but, like, yeah, he starts going on about, like, having a Muslim president and, you know... We hate him. He's, I don't know if he supported Trump, but he was definitely going that way. And he's just like a rotten, horrible bloke. And that is my number one. Great. Dave. Um, and I had a bonus clip, but I'm not going to get you to pay it because that clip was bad enough on reflection. No, 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 no. You, you have sent me a bonus clip here and it does say protest song in block capitals. It was him. <laughs> oh, is, is it Hank Williams? <laughs> no, no, it's, it's Hank Williams. Okay, stick it on. Go All right. On. Let's, let's do this. Go on. This is about Obama. You block when I call. I'm gonna keep my big BA. Keep my friends the same. Keep the government out of my business and y'all can keep the chain. This country should as hell been going down the drain. Drain. We know who to blame. Socialist states of America. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. <laughs> this just sounds like an absolute madman in the corner of a bar who won't leave you alone. This whole country's going down the drain. <laughs> the, the, the <laughs> harmonica solo. Oh, Lovely. So awful, yeah. <laughs> just shit on top Keep of shit. Keep the change, Obama. <laughs> fucking hell, okay. Right, um, what's annoying though is that like, you know, we're ending on a high note because I've picked a, a stellar artist here, but I've picked a very depressing song. Uh, but okay. but I think it's a beautiful song. I think it's a beautiful um, just story in some respects. It can be a very sad story in other respects. And I think the artist behind it um, has the best of intentions and is someone that we've talked about on the show before. And someone who I know you have spoken to in interview capacity. So here's my number one. Rufus Wainwright 
comes from a musical family, of course. That song is Dinner at Eight. Yeah. Uh, detailing a row he had with his father, Loudon Wainwright III. He's also, of course, the son of Kate McGarrigal, the late Kate McGarrigal. And he is, of course, the brother of Martha Wainwright. So like I say, musical family. Um, and that song, Dinner at Eight, I think is just a devastating short story. Um, it's from his third record. I think it's the closer on Want One. And the fucking, yeah. like, it's about, apparently it's about, like, he both Rufus and Loudon Wainwright had done a joint photo shoot together for Rolling Stone magazine for some feature, presumably something like this, like, you know, fathers and sons or musical offspring or whatever. Um, Mm. And they were having dinner and Rufus Wainwright apparently joked that his success had gotten his dad back into the magazine, uh, which then led (laughs) to, it sounds like a very Rufus Wainwright thing to do. Yeah, he's very funny. um, Escalated into a heated exchange and Rufus composed the song later that night. Um, and I mean, like, it would appear like that he did have it, like, you know, again, you know, I feel like he probably came from privilege. I mean, he seems like a, you know, a, a well-to-do fellow, but, you know, he has suffered some horror in his life. And he also talked about the difficult relationship he had with his dad. He said he identified as gay while he was a teenager. Um, and he told Rolling Stone magazine around the turn of the century that his father had recognized this in him early on. He said that we'd drive around in the car, he'd play hard at glass, and I'd sort of mouth the words pretend to be blondie, just a sign of many other things to come. Wainwright would say in another interview that his mother and father could not even handle me being gay, and we never talked about it really. Now, I don't know the the ins and outs of that, and like these things are complex. I would like to hope that some kind of harmony was realized. And of course, I know when uh, Rufus Wainwright's mother passed away, he dedicated, like he constructed a whole show about her work, and uh, it would seem that there's a complex... Uh, fractured, tough, you know, kind of strange relationship there yeah. at the fore, which comes across in that song Dinner at Eight quite beautifully. Um, you have those lines about like, you know, no matter how strong, I'm going to break you down with one little stone. Um, you know, I'm going to show you what you're really worth, what you're really worth to me. Uh, it's always kind of struck me. I mean, and it's obviously like at the moment, I mean, listen to the song kind of during the week, I found it very emotional. I've never found myself in, I can only presume that the Wainwrights were dining in some very, very fancy, expensive restaurant wearing only the best suits and stuff. But uh, I've never really found myself in that position with my late father. But um, I've definitely had moments over the years where he and I would have had, you know, fractious times. And a song like this and the moment that I'm kind of in now in my life, you know, I I found it very... um, Sad for sure, but also uh, quite freeing in a way to kind of tune into this song this week. I think it's a beautiful representation of the complex nature of these things and about how, you know, there's so much regret laced in the song. I think he's fighting so hard for himself, but he's fighting so hard for the love that I think is clearly buried beneath the surface between those two. Maybe that's just me projecting quite a bit, but... It, it stuck yeah. with me for many years. Um, and yeah, at the moment, I mean, like, you know, listeners to the show and people who know me, of course, will know that I'm currently in a grieving period for my dad. Um, I will say real quick, by the way, just as an aside, I had the most fucked up dream this week. Um, I dreamt that. It's funny because like it's it's everywhere, like, you know, and I had this really, really lucid dream that um, my dad was miraculously and suddenly back to life. And I was like, and he was healthy. And I um in the dream, just to show you how far existential dread goes, uh, I I was like, what? But people will think that I, I made it up for like attention or something. How am I ever going to explain this? And of course, you know, that's, you know, there wasn't, there was also emotion in the moment. And then, then I just woke up and I felt really sad and I went to work and that was, that was my fucking, I mean, that was my Tuesday and it's tough, but I'm grateful and glad that there is artistic expression like this in the world 
And sometimes I think you do need to confront very difficult relations and relationships that you have with people. And it's not perfect. And that's the point. And, I, and I've always enjoyed Rufus Wainwright. I've always enjoyed his storytelling. I saw him live in 2007 in Vicar Street. And it was one of the most spellbinding shows I've ever seen. There was a moment where he um, played, he sang an Irish song and he like, with, without the microphone and you could hear a fucking pin drop. But he's just so good and so adept at just freewheeling towards, you know, a, a, a raunchy, fun, upbeat piano ballad done in a kind of vaudevillian style. Um, and like, yeah. he's an artist that like I've always wanted a masterpiece from, but maybe, maybe I'm the one, like maybe I'm missing an obvious masterpiece in front of me, but he is the masterpiece. You've interviewed him before. How did you find him? Oh, just an absolute dream. He's everything you'd kind of want, um, from a chat in general. He's like, you know, from reading his stuff previously, from loving his work, he was just, yeah, he embodied everything you would hope he embodied. Um, very witty, very literate, of course, just kind of charming company. And the complete antithesis of like a Hank Williams Jr. If there's any solution (laughs) or bam from that kind of level of awfulness, it is this urbane kind of Canadian based guy who's just tremendous. And we've talked, you know, a lot about kind of privilege and opportunities that are afforded people um, that are musical offspring. But if there's a flip side or if there's something deeper of the talent being in the blood for some people, that's definitely the case with Rufus Wainwright. It just seems like he was born to do this thing. He was a prodigious talent from his a very early age. He was kind of writing stuff that was winning awards and he seems destined to do this. And I don't know if that's in part due to his family. His family have definitely coloured his writing, which, as you've rightly pointed out, is superb. And he gets the shade and the complexities and everything we've been talking about of, like, however tough can be with your family, your family is your family. He understands that. He's articulated it beautifully. You've just articulated it beautifully. And I'm really glad you've picked this as your number one. It was a lovely way to cap it off. Yeah, it could only be that one. Um, it's a strange song to kind of almost dedicate to your dad but like there is truth in it and i think truth yeah, is man. something i'm kind of looking for quite a bit right now so um yeah um weird top five how do you feel after all that burying of people that you did i think you were very even-handed honestly i do thank you <laughs> i think you did tougher tasks than you thought yeah than you thought you were going to have at the start of it i kind of yeah, threw you yeah. I, I went you take worst <laughs> <laughs> i enjoyed it i think I, i'm glad I'm glad for Hank Williams Jr. being such a monster because sure. it made the number one so cathartic. So, you know, you've got to find the silver linings, Dave. That's what I'm learning week on week. That's what we try and do. And week on week lately, it's been a little bit lonelier because we haven't had the bullish, beautiful presence of just an incredible person, you know, just an incredible human being. Um, you know, Adam Shanahan, Sonic Architect to the Stars. He's off with the we Choice adore. Prize right now. Uh, we will, of course, know who has won by this point of this podcast and earlier in the show. And hopefully he'll be back on Steam with us next week. We miss him dearly, but he's a busy, very in-demand man, you know? So what are you going to do? Quite rightly. Quite rightly. Yeah. We're lucky we can share him with the world. <laughs> in many ways, he's our offspring. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's No Encore for this week. It's patreon.com slash No Encore if you loved what you heard today. If you liked what you heard today, just tell someone about the show. That's all we ask. Pay it forward, I think, is the term, Craig. Is, it? is that what the people say? Yeah, that was the movie starring... Was it Kevin yeah, Spacey? Yeah, Kevin Spacey. <laughs> Let's wrap we were doing pretty well. We are doing pretty well. We are doing pretty well. All right. Ruined it. My name is Dave Hanready. His name is Craig Fitzpatrick. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. <laughs> See you next week. Bye.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.